Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This time on Those Conspiracy Guys, we cover an event that over 50 years old still remains intriguing, investigated, and unsolved. The Dyatlov Pass incident, named for the group leader Igor Dyatlov, who, in 1959, led a group of nine other skiing and mountaineering enthusiasts into the northern Euro region at the mouth of Siberia. Also known as the Colette Siakal incident for the ominously named Dead Mountain, where the incident took place. After some three weeks into their sub-zero orienteering voyage, and with one member of the group returned safely through illness, a search party sets out for the nine hikers of whom there has been no word. What this search party finds is a scene that is instantly gruesome and confusing, but over time would become so horrific and bizarre its details are still argued over today. Spawning numerous documentaries and inspiring countless books and movies, the complexity of this macabre mystery has garnered a flurry of equally outlandish explanations. Some claim the group were caught in a secret Soviet weapons test, or that they had stumbled on something of a similar secret of nature. Some believe the eventual conclusions of the investigation were an as-yet-unknown or undocumented compelling force of nature caused the incident. Some believe in the reports of alien intervention in the event, and others that a prehistoric abominable snow yeti had a huge hairy hand in the proceedings. And others still believe in an avalanche or human intervention for the probable cause. None of these factors individually explain the full mystery of the shocking scene found, but we'll be covering them all this episode on Those Conspiracy Guys. It's a Dyatlov Pass incident. Welcome, welcome, folks. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, if we start off a little subdued in this one, it's because it's uh, quite a, a dark subject matter. Yeah, we'll be covering it's not in this exactly episode. Uh, Christmas time or... Uh, yeah, this is know, not our Santa Claus Valentine's episode. Day or yeah, and we've Easter done, we've Sunday. We've done dark subjects before. We've done things about missing people and, yeah. and murder and death and all sorts. Kidnapping kitties and, yeah. you know, and shooting up schools and... Yeah, we've done we've done some rough subjects, yeah. and this is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Brace Welcome. yourself. Yeah, if you, if you have a habit of getting kind of paranoid or fearful easily, best uh, I don't know. Keep listening, I guess. But yeah, I, mean, I don't think, I don't think a great amount of warning is necessary for this one. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like putting on uh, you know the Beatles' first album. Yeah, you, like you may or may not have heard about this the Dyatlov Pass incident before. Mm. Uh, it's inspired movies. It's inspired. A few documentaries that are out there. A slew of books. Yeah, or you may have just passed an article about it somewhere in the newspaper somewhere at some time. It's, it's one of those ones that as soon as people start telling you the story of it, you're like, oh yeah, that thing, I remember that thing. Yeah, like, I heard about it. You've heard about it somewhere. It was brought to our attention 
by some lovely Facebook people. Mm-hmm. And they requested this show. Uh, Jordan McNamara actually told us to go looking for this. And as we were reading, I was like, didn't I see a movie about that? Like, that was out a yeah. while ago. This is fucking, this is the same, like, the same name and everything. So, you know, we went to see the movie. Uh, it's called Devil's Pass. Mm. Um, and that's about all it did was pass. Yeah. It didn't really, didn't really, you know. I didn't watch it myself. It's, it's to be found no flying on YouTube if you want to, if you want to go and see it. Yeah, you can find it in places. It's not really... Now, it's from the director, you told me, of the cli- of Cliffhanger. Of and Die Hard 2. And Die Hard 2, which is my favourite Die Hard. Well, that was such the trailer for it. I was like, okay, the Atlov Pass, I can watch a movie and do study for my podcast at the same time. Boom, shang yeah. Let's make it happen. Like, think about it. Usually when we sit down for two hours to watch something, it's a fairly badly made, yeah. crappy YouTube A weekly cobbled together... You know, badly overdubbed yeah. YouTube documentary, and PowerPoint that has presentation, great facts, but just no, <laughs> no presentation skill or, yeah. or kind of stuff. It's just ba- like bare facts, which we try to stay away from here on those conspiracy guys. Yeah, waka waka. So, in in line with picking up true facts as true as possible, you watch Devil's Pass and, and discovered you, you end up. You know, the only facts that kind of are in that movie is like snow is cold, mm-hmm. avalanches happen. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really cold when you're in an avalanche. Mm. And that climbing up a mountain is hard. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Russian is a language that people who don't speak it can't understand easily. Yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's Without giving too much away yeah. about our podcast tonight. Yeah. Uh, or the movie. In case the movie. Wants to go yeah. watch it, I'm I mean. not gonna do. I'm not gonna do spoilers until the end of the show, and we'll warn you with spoilers. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. The Atlov Pass incident. You will hear of in the annals of like hiking history and, you know, these found footage horror stories or, you know, these uh, worldwide mysteries like the Marie Celeste. Or, yeah. You know. You hear about the great unsolved mysteries. Yeah, this is, this this is, is in, one of them. If the list was stretching to 30 something, this would definitely be in the list. Yeah. It was a, it was a top 40. Yeah. Of well, it reminds us of our, of our Philadelphia experiment episode in that. When we came to look at the topic, it was, I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. I've heard that name somewhere over and over again. It batter mine half hard. Yeah. Which is another thing that you see from a movie that's named As soon that. as you look up the batter mine half complex, you won't, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the irony of it. So the Atlov, the, the Atlov Pass incident, in a nutshell, is nine Russian hikers went up yeah. a mountain and ne'er one came home. Is it the general, the, that's the gist of the tale. What yeah. you have is, it's, the Atlov Pass is a, not an actual place. It was named after the group leader, Igor Dyatlov. This is uh, a group of, of 10 people, 10... 10 hikers. Like yeah, uh, ski hikers. Mountaineer, mountaineers. Enthusiasts of the orienteering arts, yeah. if you will. Yeah, you have to re- recognise the time. So it's like late 50s is in Russia, 1959 mm-hmm. Russia. These are college kids that are on like a holiday break. Mm. The, the, the local Ural Polytechnic Institute. Yeah. studying like engineering, things like that. There were... There were bettering themselves for the sake of Mother Russia. Hmm. And and if you think at the time, you know, people were, communism was rife. It was like booming, you know. America was shitting itself daily that communism could take over as a way of life. Um, you know, Khrushchev had just come into power. The thaw for the Cold War was on. There was talks being made. It wasn't so yeah. like staunchly anti-communist as it was in the early 50s or the late 40s with Stalin in power. You know, people were trying to, you know, 
it was a worldwide young people's revolution where yeah. young people were educating themselves having fun not being afraid there was no wars going on not being afraid to grow up and grow old and have fun like so these kids are like you know happy go lucky there's no real this was a group of happy communists yeah. these guys were pro communists hard workers yeah. good studiers hard workers but they, know, were, they, they weren't running away from anything a they top weren't level education in, 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 in engineering in, in physics and chemistry yeah. in, in, the, in the local institute they were. They had on their time off. They were going on these mountaineering trips, on these, these yeah, just holiday rushing trips. kids out skiing. That's yeah, you know, it's contrary to the picture that's communist. painted of the time of communist Russia. But there were some parts where people were living fairly happy enough middle class lives and were happy with communism. Thought it worked well. Even today, Russian people are kind of portrayed in the modern media as like bumpkins and you know, kind of weird alcoholic drunkards and. Young lads that swing from impossibly high scaffolding and guys that drive tanks across main roads and fall around drunk on the streets. That's what YouTube would have you believe. Yeah. Russia's actually a super sophisticated place, like and you know, these kids were sophisticated. Yeah. They were they were educated and they were like kids, you know, uh, uh, that would go to Aspen skiing or would go like hiking up uh, up the West Coast Trail, you know, from yeah. California to to Seattle or whatever, do that Colorado Reese Witherspoon walk, you know that uh, the Pacific West Trail, yeah, the wild, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, expeditions, yeah, uh, excursions. Nothing, nothing spectacular. They weren't yeah. out looking for anything. They weren't on like a super scientific mission or a secret secret search for Bigfoot or whatever. Yeah, a bit so, of white water rafting, but in, in Russia it was kind of cross country skiing across a great area. Yeah. But the, that that was crack to these people. Good crack. <laughs> and so you had you had uh, nine students from the local polytechnic all get, come together in this group in this skiing party. Relatively young. Relatively young group. Uh, run through the names there. I'm not going to do it. You speak Russian. Go oh for it. Jesus. Okay. Can't be so that hard. From the ages of like 21 to 25, the mm-hmm. age range. Uh, Igor Dyatlov was the the leader. Yeah. And he was like a reasonably reasonably experienced mountaineer. Mm-hmm. Like people trust him to be the leader of it. Uh, there was Zinaida. Kolmogorova, who's mm. 22 years of age. Ludmila Dublinina, mm-hmm. who's 21. Yuri Doroshenko, who's 21. Uh, Yuri Krivonishenko, who's Ooh. 24. Uh, Alexander Kolyevatov, who's 25. Uh, Rustem Slobodin, who's 23. Nikolai, uh, he has a French double barrel name, I'm guessing. French uh, descendancy. Mm. Uh, Thibaut Brinoles. I'm making you be Spanish at the yeah, end. Nicolai Tibo Brinoles, who's 24. I can't pronounce that. That's really, really weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Yuri Yudin, who's 21. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a 10th uh, member, not one of the students of, yeah, the, of the college. A 10th one called uh, Simeon Zolotarev, who, which translated means Golden Simon. <laughs> he was a 37-year-old uh, ski instructor, and he wanted to get more experience. So he... He had been recommended to the group. He was like a, you know, a handy boy to have around. Yeah. Someone who had a, a very a experience, you know, in case the shit went down. Like kind of an orienteering yeah. instructor. And yeah. He was their resident expert. Yeah. Just looking to add something to his, his card, his experience card. And what they were undertaking was a category three climb. That's some serious shit. Like. Yeah. There's three categories of climb. Yeah. One, the easiest. Yeah. Two, intermediate. And three, for experienced only. And they were going on a category three rated climb. Up uh, to this mountain. That's professional level shit. Like, yeah, the goal was to reach uh, Otorton, the Otorton mountain, a mere ten kilometers away, and 
think I'll get up to the top of it, have a little look around, come straight back again. Yeah, but you said 10 kilometers, like, yeah, it's just 10 kilometers away, but it's like 10 kilometers up. Yeah. Yeah. Through Siberian wastelands and through a... Massive snowfall. And, yeah, and, yeah, and heavily wooded areas. And, so, yeah, not, a, not an easy trek. Category 3, classed as the hardest category for a reason. But again, these are all fairly experienced um, orienteers and, and ski hikers. Yeah. These are all fairly fit young people. They're not like a, bu- a bunch of uh, like American college kids in a horror movie that are all like, let's go up a mountain. And then when they're up there, they're going, who has the map? I thought you had the map. Oh, do I? Like, that's not... Yeah. yeah they're not and all, all studying at the local like. polytechnic and all from the local Ural area. So uh, all well-versed in the conditions. You know, so all yeah. born on skis, basically. Like, when you when you grow up in Russia, you have your summer wardrobe and your winter wardrobe. You know not to fuck around in the in the cold. Like, that shit will yeah. get you, like... By, by 21, 22, these aren't young people. They're used to the conditions yeah, yeah. And, and how quickly body temperatures can drop in certain conditions. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so this whole incident happened only over a number of days, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a very short period of time. We're going to start that timeline. Like from zero to fucked in, yeah, in, in really a really short in time. In a very short period of time. Yeah. And the thing is, one of the things about this incident is that uh, the group took a camera with them and were taking photos all through their expedition. So it can be seen that from the photos, they look in fairly high spirits in every photo up yeah. until the, the last one's taken and it seems that whatever befell them happened in a very short period of time. Overnight. That, yeah, they went from like smiling, thumbs up, ready to set up camp to all hell breaking loose pretty mm. quick. Um, and that's this, this starts January 25th, 1959. We're looking at Cusp in the 1960s. Uh, January 25th, the group arrive in the Svedlosk Oblast province uh, in the town of Ivdel. Uh, Ivdel is where they'll kind of uh, stock up, hang out, uh, have a bit of fun. And there's a lot of photographs taken in that period of time and showing them having a lot of fun together. Base camp, basically. Base camp, getting getting the group together, everyone getting to know each other, everyone getting to trust each other and each other's skills, getting prepped up and getting ready to go. They hit their actual base camp on January 27th. They set out from Vizhai, which is kind of the last northern settled town before the wastelands begin. Before before the serious mountain shift. Before it gets real. Mm. So they set out on January 27th. Uh, but on January 28th, uh, one day into the trek, Yuri Yudin, uh, one of the younger members of the of the group, uh, finds that his rheumatoid arthritis is acting up. Uh, or so it's said in, in some things. In other things, it's said that he is, uh, you know, one of those one of those sexually transmitted kind of problems but either way he says he has a runny bum disease yeah but either way he's he's hit with a a bout of illness and away he goes he leaves the group apart from his little bout of illness safe and sound Mm. and heads back into town into Vizai to hang out and and get the train back home to the to the college and And have some nice toilet paper yeah and 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 get well and wait for his his friends to return or uh, at the very least get a telegram to say how the expedition had gone yeah uh, so the group continue lucky on. Yuri, huh? Yeah, lucky Yuri, it, it, it seems. Yeah. Uh, the group continue on, and over the next uh, three days, by January 31st, they've marched a decent uh, a decent amount of their journey, and they're coming up to the first slope of the first mountain they're going to hit, which is, uh, I'm going to say this really slowly, Kolat Sikil. Sikil. Siakil. Kolat Siakil. There you go. I'm not going to say it again. That's the, so that's the first mountain. <laughs> Kolat Siakl, translated, yes. means the mountain of the dead. Mountain of the dead. Yeah. that's de- If you're if you're standing at the foot of a mountain called Mountain of the Dead, mm-hmm. you'd be like, yeah, I'd be gr- I'm grand. Let's go the other way. Yeah. We go home now. But it was a class three. 
And they all wanted that class three for so that. I was trying to impress that 37-year-old boy. They were all like, oh, Mr. Zolotarayev, I want to do good for you so you make, you know, make sex with me. Yeah. In the tent. Boys and the girls. This is remember, like you said, there was a kind of a, a swinging movement in Russia at the time <laughs> in the late fifties. Yeah, the, the hippie movement that the started in the late fifties, like the rebellion of youth with Elvis and the Beatles and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where people were like, "Well, I'm not listening to you, mom," and then mom is like, "Satan is in those records, love." Like this kind of stuff. You're yeah. like, "Yeah, is he though, or is is the world changing?" And and you know, like every country, modern opinion or the youth is like elevating itself and 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 growing new legs and. It happened worldwide, not yeah. just. That's the thing. Like, Every country history would have you believe it was just England and America. Yeah, yeah, but of course Russia had to. Of course, they fucking did. They weren't living it like everyone believed. When I was a kid, I used to watch black and white movies and go, um, "Remember when the remember when the world was black and white, Daddy? Like when did it start being in color? Did you just wake up one day and everything was color? I couldn't like when I was like four. I thought you couldn't years appreciate and years life ago, was as vibrant as it was. Yeah, now. years and years ago, it was everything was in black and white, and now it's in color. I didn't realize it was just the camera. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why kind of people think about Russia in the bad days was that like oh, everything yeah, was black and white. Everything was black and white and gray, and everybody stands around and they share like one cigarette between six people, and you know they live in a yeah. gulag and eat eat gruel all the time. When they were really living a fairly nice life, you know. Yeah. Not everybody in Russia is on turpentine vodka go yeah. blind. Yeah. If they would be, then who, who's driving anywhere? Who's doing anything? I only drink uh, strawberry flavored perfume. <laughs> That's all I drink. It's good. Make bread smell. It's quality. It's, it's good. Make a teeth uh, hurt. But that's it. Like they, they, they were, they were boisterous youths. Yeah, you know, adventuring and having this. Yeah, let's not think of these as underprepared kind of peasants yeah. wandering out into this. I know we're hammering this home, but yeah. <laughs> for what happens later on, it's it's quite it's quite a like a salient point. Like yeah. these are not just fucking Egypts running up a mountain for the crack. Yes. They know what they're about. They're you know Yeah. Hipsters they're, of the fifties, like, you know. Yeah. And they they know what they're doing. They, and and they're well versed in everything. Uh, so we're jumping back in. It's January thirty first. They're at the foot of the mountain of the dead. They're at the foot of the mountain of the dead. This they get over this mountain. They then get to attack the the main thing they were coming to find, which is the O'Torton Mountain. Mm. Uh, so they're standing at the foot of the mountain and they're coming through a wooded area into the slope that leads up the side of the mountain along a pass that that passes around the the point of the mountain. And they're going to take this pass, an as yet unnamed pass that will that is now forever known as the Dyatlov Pass. Yeah. So they undertake this pass. What, what they're known to have done, and this is seen in the, in the photographs they, they took with the camera, they built a shelter uh, and stored a cache of food and, and some other supplies for their trip back. So they were planning to hit the, the mountaintop and then come back, pick up these supplies and use them to get back into town. Yeah. And away Instead of carting it all the way up the mountain, which is the done thing. Which makes a lot of sense. You leave it there, you hit the thing with a light pack, you come back, you get your stuff, make it back down the mountain. Good so, God. so they cache this food in the woods and begin their trek through the woodland and up the open slope of the mountain. Uh, this is when the inclement weather conditions sort of hit them. So they're heading up the side of the mountain. The weather, the temperature starts dropping. We're talking somewhere between minus 18 degrees Celsius to minus 25 degrees Celsius, maybe. Uh, and if you've never been in that cold. Yeah. I, well, I've never been in that cold. Yeah. It's fucking cold. Bro. It's real cold. Yeah. Bone chillingly cold. Right in. Right in there. Like, it's a different call to if it was, like, minus two in Ireland. Mm. I don't know how many listeners are from Ireland, but when you know it's minus two, like, your fucking hands hurt. Yeah. In you your pockets. Hurt. <laughs> Over there, you can be minus ten, and it'll be fresh. You're like, hey, this is not too bad. It's, like, clean cold in a fridge, maybe, or something like that. It's, like, 
yeah, I could exist in this, yeah. but not in my knickers standing out in the cold no. for an hour. That's shrieking through it. Yeah. I mean, with a nice coat, three or four jumpers, pair of pants, long johns, proper boots. Like your feet, my feet were the thing that got cold the worst. Like, and well, I can see, it, yeah, I can see how I can see how frostbite kicks in and gets your extremities, man. You know, yeah. But it's it's like if you're up a mountain and it's snowing, it's a wet cold. Like it's minus eighteen. It's not really very comfortable. I wouldn't say. No, it it's, couldn't it's, be for them to 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 have the tenacity to soldier on, like. They're, they're they, again hammering the point home but this is a hardcore group if they hit yeah. if the weather starts dropping like this and turning and they don't turn back or they don't take shelter in the wooded area they're on it like they're on it, it. yeah they, they want to go and so it's january 31st and they're planning on making the trip over the pass in one day and by that evening by nightfall they want to be camping on the other side of the mountain and and making their run then at o'torton so february 1st they set out for this this trek over the pass uh, the, the weather drops in on them they start to be veered kind of to the west a mm-hmm. lot and west takes them the pass is running east over the side of the mountain and west takes them straight up the point of the mountain which is a, a much harder traverse much harder traverse uh, and much steeper than what they were planning so they they realise their mistake when they start hitting like inclines steep. yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> things are getting very steep and they think this isn't right so they realise that they're heading up the point of the mountain Stop there, and they're at this point. They're still only about one and a half kilometers away from the wooded area down below them. Not from exactly where they started, but there's there's covered wooded area just yeah. about one point five kilometers down below them. They don't retreat back down into the wooded area. What they do is they camp on that side of the. And this this decision was apparently a, a Dyatlov decision. Yeah, this this was another. This is one of the things that is hard to explain about the decision making that was going on at the time. But Yuri Yudin, the the man who had left the group the day before, he he said later uh, in the investigations that he believes what happened was it was A, uh, to not lose ground and lose a bit of altitude yeah, on skis yeah, is what they had and B was that it was to, uh, this whole expedition was to push themselves was to was to try new things and at category 3 uh, ascent and so what they were trying was to see if they could they could camp out in the open on a see, mountain face if they had to were ever caught in those conditions to see what it was like so maybe they were trying that out the done thing would be to retreat back down the mountain to a flatter area yeah. where there was less likelihood of avalanche or wind damage or storm damage or, you know, a, a whole host of unknowable forces, uh, unknowable events that could happen. They really didn't listen to common sense and ended up ended up getting in trouble. Yeah. I mean, you you park up on the side of a mountain and you expect some shit to happen. like, And, and if an avalanche is going to happen, it's going to happen from uh, the snowbank being weakened by like human interaction by footsteps or by like a camp by like a fire that's going to melt a part of the snow ruin the integrity of the snowbank one part of it slips the whole thing is gone just slips off side and it's on a steep incline so it already has gravity on its side it's already got support from yeah gravity's going to help me fuck you up with an avalanche keep on walking up and down this (laughs) and see what happens to you like so i mean it was i think you know it was a silly silly choice like yeah to park up on the side of the mountain, you know. But not to be expected to bring about your ruin. Um, yeah, I, I suppose. You'd yeah, hear, you'd hear well, like, the thing is, I've seen pictures of the mountain and... Uh, it doesn't seem that... It's not that steep. That, but, yeah. I've seen the pictures where a team went back in the summertime, and obviously in the summertime it looks completely different. It's a, it, it looks like the rolling hills of the Sound of Music. Yeah. But they they took a photo that was taken by the group. A little hilly. A photo that was taken by the group over their tent yeah. and where it was placed on that and last they, and night. They and they recreated the photo. And it looks... 
it doesn't look that great a slope. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a, it's a long, gradual upward slope. And I'm sure it's pretty high off the ground, like the sea level, but it's... like Crowpatrick or something. Yeah, it doesn't seem that if there was an avalanche, it would tear any great speed or any, there'd be any massive movement of snow above But you. you always think about that with an avalanche. You think about that with a tsunami as well. You're watching the videos online. See, it's not too tall. the tsunami in Japan, and you're all like, is that a tsunami? Is that what this shit is? That's slow as shit. Like, what the fuck is that going to do to anybody? And then you look, and it hits a house, and you're like, oh, the house. And then it just swallows the house, yeah. and you're like... Oh, because that's the whole sea. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. It just looks like water from this helicopter. Yeah. It looks like someone's throwing loads of buckets of water yeah, at the house. Yeah. That's it. Really slow. Yeah. But, like, but a billion buckets of water will take down a house. The whole sea. Yeah. So, I can understand how an avalanche would be able to destroy that shit. Like. Yeah. And this is possibly what happened to the group. Basically, what happens is uh, they never show up at Viz High. And on February 12th, so on February 1st, they began their ascent and, and the bad weather hit and they took camp on the mountain. By February 12th, they were supposed to have reached O'Torton and re- returned back to Visay and sent out telegrams home to, to say... To be like, well, yeah, we made it, done. everything was cool, yeah. Yeah. Nobody got fingered, everybody happy. <laughs> but, well, we know what happens on these kind of yeah. conditions in the tent at night. Everybody gets fingered. Yeah, you got to get that uh, trail hook up. Yeah, you gotta keep watching. Watch like, Devil's Past, you'll understand it. Yeah, you'll know what yeah. that is. Well, uh, so February 12th passes, no word from the group. Nobody's too panicked at first because this this happens. Like, if it, they, they were already losing a day with camping on one side of the mountain, an extra couple of days here yeah. or there, not too surprising. By February 20th. But, well, yeah, but two weeks two weeks out, like, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, something's gone wrong here. By February 20th, the families of the, the people are pretty pretty worried, and, and the group in Yekaterinburg, where the, the family's from and where the university's based, uh, they implore the university to send out a search party. The university also enlists the military and the the local. Yeah, it's all hands on deck, kind of, you know. Yeah. Everybody Walking around with sticks in the snow, like, let's see if we can find Yeah, this is a group of, of fine, upstanding young people and a, and a decent sized group. And We can't let them all. We can't just let them all disappear yeah. into the Siberian waste. So out goes the search party. Some might party say they left the search party too long. If they had been there earlier, they might have found somebody alive, but. Who knows? I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's hard to say with these expeditions. But like, like I said, it, it took a while to get a search party. But by February twentieth, so they've gone missing technically on February first. On February twentieth, uh, out goes a search party to look for them. And by February twenty sixth, they make it to the area where the tent was, and knowing where they were going. Yeah, knowing no, know, knowing exactly what route they were taking. Uh, they follow exactly the route that was planned out, and eventually come across the tent on the side of the mountain. Uh, and this is where things start to get a little strange. Uh, what happens, Paul? Well, they get to the tent mm. and they find it empty. Right. It's collapsed, but through no great force or anything. It's just kind of laterally been tipped over inside. There's some snow scattered over the top of it, suggesting something. Snowfall, uh, perhaps. A bit of snowfall. But, but maybe a, a, it's a, not small, com- a small snow movement, like an avalanche, perchance. Yeah, but it, it wasn't completely covered. It was it was spotted from far away and still half erect, if you will, in the <laughs> ground. Um, well, it was cold. It was freezing. Uh, so when the tent itself is investigated, what they find inside is uh, the clothes and the shoes of and the other belongings of the people, but none of the group. Right. So not so, the body. No bodies. What condition was the tent in? The tent, uh, again, had been kind of knocked over, but the front of the tent had been ripped open. 
ripped or shredded open. Shredded open. Shredded open. In, in, in a hasty panic. That seems The like, tent had been ripped open. To use the word shredded open. Shredded open, shredded open and, and cut open. Um, and what's documented at the time is from the inside out, it seems. Mm. It seems that nobody externally attacked the tent and tried to get in. It seems that the group tried to get out of the tent in such an incredible haste that they ripped the front of the tent open mm. and fled into the night. And there's more evidence of them, of them doing this as there's footprints all around the tent leading away from about eight or nine, roughly the amount of people there were, sets of footprints moving in all directions away from the tent. You're talking about an old 60s canvas tent now, not one of these like fancy Super modern zip up ones that yeah. all like you can go and it like folds back yeah, in a circle, into a circle. Like, in this, yeah. this is like an old ass like a like, proper you know, tent can, big fat canvas tent heavy motherfucker like, yeah. uh, uh, weatherproof waterproof all that stuff and it has like wooden poles presumably for its inside yeah. it this is have, back like, in the days yeah where tents were made fiber, to last aluminium poles yeah. yeah big ass wooden poles and presumably to keep out the wind and the snow they would tie the doors shut hmm. with like a leather, um, you know, small string, leather string and, yeah. and have like eyelets in the door. I mean, I used to camp and we had like these big ass green canvas tents and you'd lock them all down at night with like a, a plat. Yeah. So the pl- the yokes would all plat together, the doors would. Like that's hard to open in haste. So I can see if they had to get out of the tent quickly. Yeah. Cutting your way out with a knife would probably be would seem a smarter maneuver yeah, if you're planning to not return to the tent at all yeah. it would seem a smarter maneuver than to what happened in the tent to make him run out like that run out. who knows the but smelliest fart of ever, <laughs> ever yeah uh, and a super old tin of beans oh um, it's it's oh. this is the question that the search team were asking <laughs> what did you eat the smell oh shut up bigger I'm trying to shift Ludmila. <laughs> she hasn't smelled it yet. I smelled it. You're dirty rotten, Rustian. This something has crawled up your botsky and died. That's what happened. Yeah, that's essentially R- Rustian let a fucking Guinness fart. This seemed some. this seemed the most obvious outcome, obviously, to the to the yeah. search party when they arrived and found the scene. They said somebody has Guinness fired in this place up so bad. Yeah, they all pulled out their knives and cut their way out. <laughs> so bad was it? That's rotten. And then someone said, "I know Rustum. Rustum's up to that kind of thing all yeah. the time." Uh, well, yeah. So they have eight or nine sets of footprints running out of the tent. Yeah. Uh, this is where it gets real strange. Okay. The footprints lead away from the tent for about five hundred meters in all directions, and then kind of just disappear. So what? How, how does that happen? Like, well, I mean, how is that possible? I believe it's called spontaneous human evaporation. Uh, <laughs> who know? Well, who knows? Indeed, the, the search party were wondering the same thing themselves. So they start heading down, follow the majority of the footprints, and start heading down the slope towards the wooded area, about a kilometer and a half down okay. the side of the mountain. So I would guess then that like the footprints were quite fresh, and in the area that they were walking in, maybe had some snow movement or some snowfall, snowfall to cover the footprints. Yeah. Obviously, it would suggest that there wasn't a huge amount of movement or fall of snow on the area, on the tent or around the tent, or the tent would have been A, covered, and the footprints B, would have been removed. Yeah. Uh, so it suggests that the area around the tent was fairly unmolested by snow. Yeah. Or any kind of strange conditions like that. Yeah. Uh, so they followed this, this path kind of straight down towards this wooded area, and underneath the first pine tree of the, the beginning spans of the woods... They find uh, a small fire that has gone out, and around that fireplace, they find 
the two Yuris. And the two Yuris are sitting in just their underwear. Just their underwear. Uh, one of them has a pair of socks on. The other one just his underwear. They're sitting under a tree. Uh, both frozen. Dead from exposure and hypothermia. Oh, that's not cool. A rough way to go, yeah. So uh, Are they like holding on to each other for warmth? Or are they just sitting like men with their arms folded? Back to just back? like pure Russian men. Yeah. Uh, apparently, well, uh, from the photographs, kind of fetal positioned. Oh, around the tree that. yeah that's how they went out so this is kind of the, the group they still had split. the wherewithal after they ran from the tent they still had the wherewithal to be able to put a fire together to and try, to try and, and fire. stay warm well it seems what might have happened was the group scattered in many directions but then all seemed to come together again underneath this pine tree and the fire wasn't just for the two Yuris but was for more than them in the group the group it seems were split into three at this stage were split into three finds if you will, for the search party. Okay. So the search party finds the two Yuris first sitting under the tree by the, the, the makeshift fire that was made out of twigs and branches just from around them. Uh, on on the tree itself that they're found propped up against, they find that there's there's markings on the tree and broken branches going up about five feet up the tree. So they're they're trying to climb the tree, obviously, for to see if they can get up and see their camp. Like, get up the tree... Get a bit of a vantage point and try and see. Or see, see something, it yeah. It seemed that either A, they were going up the tree to find, try and see something, or B, they were going up the tree to try and get away from something. Right, so in lies the conspiracy, uh, uh, the first. Mm. Conspiracy, the first. Yes, of what, the day. Twas it a bear that chased them up the tree, Paul? A Siberian tiger, perhaps? Possibly a goat with a, a head cold. Possibly a wolf. Yeah, could be. It could have been any of those things. We don't know exactly. We know this much that when the two Yuris were found under the tree, they didn't have any particular animal attack wounds on them. They didn't have any no scratches, no contusions, no scratches, no. no. I remember they were, no they were in their underwear. Yeah, they, what they had was a few lacerations to their hands and from uh, climbing up the tree. Yes, and and that's confirmed by the the kind of skin cells and and, and bits yeah. of tissue that were found on the bark of the tree and on the the branches up the tree, going up five meters, so going up about sixteen feet. Up the tree. That's pretty seriously high, yeah. That's pretty seriously high for a couple of guys that were in their underwear. Again, serious mountain climbers. Serious mountain climbers, hardy Russian young virile men, but still in those conditions in the pitch black of night in their underwear to get up that tree, they must have really, really, really wanted to get up that tree. So they 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 fucking pelted out of the tent in the middle of the night. Yeah. For an unknown reason. Yeah. And all gathered under this tree and made a little fire. Yeah. In an effort to try and warm themselves up while they try and find their tent. Yes. Now there has been. But they had run away from. There has been stories dead. of this before. This kind of uh, getting getting stuck right very close to your camp and freezing to death. Like there were stories of people who would left the camp at nighttime in say like the most northern Canada, and they were just like recreationally camping. They left the tent for some reason, and in the dark and in the snow, they couldn't find the tent again, and they ended up just sitting in the snow. And then in the morning, when everybody woke up. They came out and the people were sitting like only two, maybe three meters away, up to 15 meters away from the tent, just sitting in the snow going, I can't fight, fuck it. I ran out of, ran out of time. You've only got a certain period of time in between kind of cold. being out in that cold and dying. Yeah. Like you have, they say like... And losing motor 15, function to the point you can't... Yeah, in that cold yourself. and in those in those like attire conditions, like you're not wearing any, sh- any kind of... Uh, uh, layers or any kind of anything to shield you from the elements like yeah you have 15 minutes max before you go unconscious and then another 10 minutes before you die from hypothermia like so you have 15 minutes of running around the snow in the pitch black dark trying to find your tent before you're fucked 
before the symptoms of hypothermia kick in and you start going on fading away yeah, yeah. slipping away yeah. into the darkness you know so this is the uh, first group that's found the two yuris under the tree it's nice that they were able to have the wherewithal to make a fire and try and like stay warm and like they were able to bring a box of matches that's to light a thing, fire but not a jacket or a pair of jocks or yeah this is what's freaking out the if you can imagine what's happening for the uh, search party at this point yeah they find the tent, find a very odd scene and think, all these people tore out of here so quick without even their clothes on and their shoes on. Uh, what the fudge, like? Yeah, and then they find them under a tree where they've had the wherewithal to try and climb the tree to find the camp and lit a fire. Like they've had an amount of time to be able to get their shit together to think... And get their senses okay, back. I have to find this tent. It's not the typical circumstances surrounding hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. But yet still couldn't manage to find the tent... Like one and a half kilometers away up the side of a mountain back the way they'd come with their footprints in the snow. Yeah. No pitch black, but I mean, still strange that they couldn't find their own tracks even in the dark, like coming yeah. back. But the things get even weirder for the search team. Uh, what they find now is in a direct line from the cedar, from the pine tree, all the way up to the, where the tent is, uh, a kilometer and a half up the side of the slope of the mountain, Yeah, they find three more of the bodies. They find this is Igor Dyatlov, the, the leader of the pack, uh, Zina, the, the oldest... Warrior princess. The warrior princess, the oldest uh, woman in the group, and Rustin Slobodin. The guy that was letting the farts in the tent. The, the guy that was burning out those rusty farts. Yeah. Uh, they find them sort of, as I said, in the direct line from the pine tree up to the tent in different increments, kind of crawling along, buried in snow. How far away were they from each other? So you have Dyatlov, who, who seemed to pass first. He was around 300 metres from the pine tree. So around 1.2 kilometers, but crawling uh, from the tent. You have uh, Kolmogorova, the, the girl who was 480 meters away from the tree, so had gotten a bit further along again. She's only a kilometer away from the camp. Yeah, right. but again, had died uh, just 180 meters ahead of, of where the Atlov had, had given, I say given up, had passed, passed away. Uh, and then finally Slobodan, who was 630 meters so, so close, yeah, nearly nearly halfway from... What would they have done if they got back to the tent? What would they do? Well, I think the first thing would be get back in the tent and seal up the rips they they could open in it. Uh, get your clothes on to get warm. I suppose you have no clothes, probably. Yeah, throw, <laughs> throw a lantern on yeah. and uh, start getting some heat into yourself. And then maybe heat up some beans and go again with the, the whole situation all over again. But, uh, this So, things get kind of a, a little bit stranger again and a little bit more cloudy again all right because again it suggests that they were down by the fire and had the wherewithal to realize if we get back to the tent we can get our clothes we can get our shoes we can get yeah. some supplies something hot to drink and we can we can save ourselves this doesn't have to end like this so they start crawling maybe maybe rustyam went first yeah and he, he got really far and then he died and then uh Zena was like oh he got so far because he died like yeah and the atlas says why don't you try and see how far you get? And she goes and she can't get any further. But while she was, like, they were sitting there waiting for them to move, you know, they got a bit more cold or got succumbed yeah. more to the symptoms of hypothermia. And when the Atlov went to have a bang, he only got 300 meters. He's like, ah, fuck this. Yeah, and gave up. And gave up, do you know? But it seems like, strange that they were able to run from the tent and run down the side of the mountain, but then had to try and crawl back up. Well, I presume because they were out for so long and they were so tired and... Uh, yeah. Like physically exhausted from hypothermia. And know. their joints frozen nearly solid. Yeah, they were just not able. Like to find them in a line though, like on the way and they knew where they were going, maybe oh man. Yeah. It seems like they were almost there, like 
almost getting back yeah. to the, exactly getting right to the tent. So as uh, if they knew where the tent was, that maybe what was climbing up the tree was. That's the thing. They were yeah, they were straight up the, the tree. Line. They knew it was there. They were like, okay, we have to get there. But if we leave Rwanda this fire and we have no clothes on, we're fucking fucked. We got yeah. to do it really quick. But because we're out and it's so long, their energy levels had sapped, and they weren't able to be able to make a sprint for the for the tent. Like do you know, what yeah, I mean? sad man. That that does sound like it makes sense. Mm. Until we go further into the mystery. Well... And it gets stranger again. Okay. So, uh, Dyatlov's found first, 300 metres from the tree. His yeah. death is ruled uh, hypothermia. Okay. He too, he, basically what, what the coroner notes... Is he notes in his is, jocks as well? He's yeah. in his jocks as well. What the coroner notes is that there's... Uh, well, he's, he's more clothed than the two youngies who were just in their underwear, unfortunately for them. But uh, it's probably why they died first. So, potentially, did the Yuris die and then... Uh, they had to make a move. Yeah, the Atlov saw, oh shit, the two Yuris are dead now. Yeah. Let's take their clothes and put them on us and try and make it back to the tent because we're not going to last. We'll try and get back, maybe. But the two Yuris' clothes, unfortunately, were uh, in the in the tent. Oh. Uh, but uh, what's, what's kind of surprising here is the Atlov's found, his his death is ruled a hypothermia. Uh, Zena's found, her death is ruled uh, a hypothermia. Yeah. No, no external wounds found, no internal injuries found. Yeah. Classic case of exposure. Uh, and then Slobodin, Rustam Slobodin's body is examined and it's found that he has a small fracture on his head, about a seven inch fracture in his skull. Not that's a fatal not small, wound, though. That's But yeah, but a, a, a decent injury. Not fatal, but uh, his death was also real as hypothermia. But he did have an injury that wasn't there when they left from the expedition. And something decent enough that he wouldn't have done it by accident and then not noticed that his. Like his a seven inch crack in your skull, you'd know what that shit like. Yeah, whatever happened was enough that you'd. You'd know what happened. He didn't like bump his head, and then you know, ten years later, they go, "Oh, you have a crack in your yeah, yeah. It's not that kind of a situation. He, he had a decent size injury. Yeah, that's very mysterious, isn't it? But unexplained. So this is the second group. So the first group that's discovered the two Yuris. The second group are are Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, and Slobodin, which are found crawling up the slope towards the tent. And then the third group is not found for uh, three to four weeks later. It's wow. May fourth. And when the third and final group are found, and they're found again going in a straight line, uh, this time away from the pine tree into the forest. Mm. So if you go seventy five meters, uh, about two hundred and fifty feet or so into the forest, down a ravine, the four more bodies were found. So a month later, they found more bodies. Two and a half months later. Two and a half months later. Yeah, they found four bodies that were dug in. To a shelter in the ground. Yeah. Like they'd made themselves a shelter. Well, it turns out these bodies were under about four meters, about 13 feet of snow. Right, right. They were buried underneath. So it takes... It's like a couple of months of snow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so two months later, a thaw begins to happen and the bodies are now found. Okay. So when when, they, when the lads were out to fire around the pine tree, mm-hmm. these other people... Were uh, there were, also, it seems. Were there underneath that fire in the pine, uh, in the pine tree, yeah? It seems it's not been confirmed exactly, but it it would suggest that they were there because there were items of clothing found on these four bodies that were on the bodies of the the first two deceased found the two Yuris. One of the Yuris' trousers had been ripped and uh, had been used to to bind the feet of one of the four bodies found. So then, like, if you're looking at the timeline, then mm-hmm. everybody runs out of the tent. They well, all get to a tree, a wooded area, to decide mm-hmm. to light a fire. 
mm-hmm. and then somebody, possibly the two Yoris, mm-hmm. expel all their energy trying to climb up this tree to see if they can see the camp. Mm-hmm. By the time they get back down, their energy is expelled and they haven't got anything to stay warm anymore. So they sit under the tree and they die first. Yeah. And after they die, the four lads go, okay, well, I'm taking his pants because my feet are freezing. Yeah. And then the Atlov and the other two are like, well, listen, you can go off and do what you want, but we're going to try and make it back to the tent. And the guys are like, you never make it back, never you never make, make it, back. it back. They end up going one way, the other lads going, going the other way. Yeah, and they say, they, let's go deeper into the woods. Let's try and find that, that cache of food we stored in the woods. Yeah. Let's try and get to there. Maybe we'll, Possibly. we'll, we'll find the shelter that we built and... and That'll be a way to go. Never made it. Never made it. No. Made it only 75 metres into the forest where there was uh, a ravine that they were all found in at the bottom of the ravine covered in snow. Did they fall into it or were they in it like building after building something? Well, that's the thing. Now, they're found in the ravine and what they find in the ravine is a sort of a shelter that had been dug out into into a, a, a three-walled shelter dug out to the side of the ravine mm. and they find pine branches snapped off and, and put down as a sort of a bedding. So there were well compartmentalists at this point. Like they were exactly. able to create were, a bivouac and be able to like subsist themselves like until Yeah. Whatever whatever had overtaken them to dash a semi naked out of the tent seemed to kind of wash away a bit when they were climbing up the tree trying to find the tent again and lighting the fire and then seemed to wash away even more when they when they ventured into the woods but, found but, the ravine but also, and took a shelter. They were scared enough not to have not to go back to the tent or not to help the Atlov and Zena and uh, Rostium get back to the tent. They were like, "That's yeah, not gonna work." Yeah, I'm not or, gonna go back. Or to possibly the... they saw those three crawl off into the night, and then eventually heard nothing. They like kept shouting their names, and then yeah. eventually stopped hearing them call back, and realized they they haven't made it. Let's try a different avenue. Let's yeah, that's not gonna work. That's, yeah. After one went and died, and another went and died, and another went and died. If I was in that last four group, I'd say let's stop doing this and let's try yeah. something else. Climbing trees don't work, and crawling around in the snow doesn't work. So head deeper into the woods. Because mm. that's always good to do, right? That's I what did, all the fairy tales say, is head deeper into the woods. Are they the ones that, that died the last? They are the ones that died the last. And they die, uh, it could have been this order. There's Nikolai Thibault Brignols, uh, who's found. Uh, now, this is the weird thing. The autopsies were done on, on the first five victims that were found within a day or two of the search party discovering the tent. Mm. They were all discovered, except for uh, Rustam Slobodin, to be all dead from hypothermia and have no other... And had a little crack in his head. And Rustin had a little crack in his head, but ruled as non-fatal and, mm. and possibly to do with the, the flea from the from the tent for whatever mm. reason. Things get really strange here. This is where uh, the other four people that are found in the ravine in the woods are found with very, very different injuries. Uh, Nikolai is found with fatal injuries to his skull and uh, serious, serious trauma and, and cracks to his skull but what's noted by the uh, the coroner at the time is no particular outward signs of trauma not a huge amount of like lacerations to the head or so or if he was hitting the head with a hammer or a stick yeah they would have had the smashed skull but also the mark on the outside again yeah you would have had like tissue trauma on the outside but mm. uh, that wasn't to be seen there was no kind of ec- external markings of any trauma it was only when and x-rayed it could be a thing where like his skin wouldn't bruise because he died immediately and then was frozen it could easily be that, but what it would suggest is it was some sort of force that wasn't to leave a, a physical laceration. Even if you were yeah. really cold, if someone hit you in the head with a stick or an axe, it would still leave some sort of laceration in your head. Yeah. Uh, so, the next person to be found is Alexander Kolevatov, uh, and he's found to have no traumatic injuries as well, 
and uh, essentially just pass of hypothermia. The next body found is the last female in the group, the second female in the yeah, group. Ludmila. Uh, yeah, Dubinina. Uh, and she is found to have broken ribs and a crushed chest. Again, what's noted is no particular external injuries or lacerations to suggest... And all these people with the crushed chests and, and your man with the, the fucked up... The smashed in head, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very strange. This is, this is this is why I think uh, even stranger again. Uh, yeah, again, I always have to kind of imagine the search party team that comes across the tent and thinks this is fucking weird. Yeah, and then finds the two bodies under the tree and all the broken branches gone. Okay, how do you twenty feet together? The tree like, and goes, just like ah, oh, poor kids. Like yeah, going okay. This this is a bit weirder again. Then finds the three bodies crawling up the tent and thinks, oh, okay, I think I know what's happening yeah. now. And then finds the last four bodies in the ravine. And of the five bodies you found up to that point. They've all died of hypothermia, yeah. and now you start finding bodies that have all been murdered, it seems, or have died of some fatal and trauma all, that all happened while they were alive. From the other crew. Yeah, it seems, yeah. and again, it was noted that all these injuries happened to these people while they were alive. Yeah. This isn't a case of, I don't know, someone's body being used as a sled and, and happening after they're dead. Yeah. These are all traumas that happened. These, these killed them. These traumatic injuries. So, uh, Lujmila is found. Not only to have broken ribs and a crushed chest, but she's got a really, really, really weird thing mm. where her tongue is missing. Ugh. And again, what's noted in, in future reports about the case that came out in the, the late 90s is that she's also found to have about 300 milliliters of blood in her stomach. Right. Suggesting that the tongue was ripped or cut or torn out while she was still alive. Because and then she, she swallowed, swallowed all the blood, 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 blood from it. Yeah. And it's uh, torn out essentially at the root so pretty deep down wow yeah serious could this be a wild animal that did that I'm sure there's there's many a tale of wild animals going for the yeah. the easiest well, fleshiest softest exposed flesh um, but still it's a, it's a dark one and there's also other uh, reports that her entire oral cavity was missing that like her lips and the inside of her mouth was all and her eyeballs torn up and then her eyeballs were missing in her head all pretty dark stuff. That would be indicative of like a scavenger animal. Yeah, again, going for the easiest tissue to, to get off the body because it's not going to be able to drag the whole body away. Exactly, coming across like a frozen dinner. Hmm. What's not frozen on it? What can I eat right now? Yeah. Tongue, lips, eyes. Let's be having you. Yeah, that'll and, do. And take it all and then, you know, uh, people say that uh, the fact that she's missing her tongue, she was found like with her head in the river. That's why her eye, her eyeballs, and her lips are missing, and yeah. her tongue is missing. That a certain was, amount of it was called microfauna that live in the water or whatever were able to come in, and it was like a natural state of decomposition. Yeah, ultra fast putrefaction of, yeah. of, of soft the tissue, soft tissue, the tongue tissue, and yeah. and she said she was found uh, next to a river with her head in the river, uh, but the pictures depict and she's uh, leaning over a rock and she's nowhere near the water. So where did the mm. do you know what I mean? Where did the bacteria get in to eat, to decompose her tongue, you know? Yeah. And why didn't it seem to happen to anyone else in the group? Strange one. Yeah, and, uh, as far like as I the, put that down to, like, wolves or some, some creature, like, that's able to... Exactly. But again, it seems hard to corroborate because this was an autopsy done in 1959 in Russia, but seems like there was, again, no particular noted injuries from an animal attack or a scavenger attack. Yeah, there's no scratches and no... I mean, a face or anything. Yeah, yeah, it seems very strange. That's this is a very precise animal that ate these parts. Yeah, of the face. it could might not be an animal, a wild animal. It could be, you know, yeah, a trained dog. Of somebody a, collecting tongues. 
Yeah, someone yeah. of a try or something that does that. But uh, so we're left with one member left in the group. This was a, the thirty-seven-year-old uh, ski instructor who joined the group as a as a ringer, sort of an expert handler. Yeah, and he's believed to be the last one to go, the last one to go, the the saddest position of all, maybe the the last man standing. Where did he die? Uh, the same in the in the area in the ravine. The reason it's believed he's the last to go is because he was found wearing Ludmilla's coat and hat. Right. Uh, her, her fur coat and her hat. So when she died, he was like, Yoink. When he died, he said she was clever enough to leave the tent with a hat and a fur coat on her nose. And it seems that that kept him alive long yeah, enough. Yeah, how did she not go like with the fur coat and the hat? How, how did she not stay alive, I wonder? Well, it seems that her injuries, she's come to her, her violent internal injuries. Where did they come from? More than anything. Where did they come from? Well, that's the question. And, and Alexander Zolotorov, and Alexander Zolotoryov, I didn't say that right at all. Zolotoryov. Oh, that's very good. Uh, he was... He, the golden I, one. Yeah, the golden one. Uh, he was believed to be the last goal because he was wearing the hat and the coat, but he was also found to have the same broken ribs and, and crushed chest cavity that Ludmilla suffered from. What is that? And no external, like no bruising happened from the crushed chest cavity, no? Essentially, yeah. This is this is what the, the, well, the coroner's report seems to say. The autopsy was performed by a doctor. I'm not going to say it. You say Boris Roj Voz Roj Denier. Voz Roj Denier. That's a good one, man. Yeah, it's good. It's hard to say. No, I mean, when you look at them over a long period of time, Russian names begin to have a kind of a phonetic sense to them. Yeah, but if you're reading more a piece and there's 19 characters you have to keep track of and they all have really, like, nine-syllable names, like, it's yeah. very hard to keep track of everything, you know? That's pretty hard to do. But he's he's still he's quite famous in, in this whole incident. Uh, it was his quote that the injuries seemed to him not possible to have been done by a human being that they exhibited the kind of trauma, the internal trauma that these four, last four victims found had. The kind of internal trauma they had suggested something like a car crash. That's seriously Things that force. he'd seen in, yeah. In, Massive in, force. In high-speed car crashes. So. And, and to have no outwards, like, scarrings or whatever, like, so. Yeah. It could be, it could be, you know, some kind of animal that did that to them. It could be the fall in the ravine. If it was the fall in the ravine. Yeah. You know. It's a strange one, because it, it sounds a lot like an avalanche in that, that idea of like uh, crushed chest, yeah, a crushing pressurized force, but sort of evenly spread out all over you, so as to not leave any particular bruising or, or point, outside point of contact. Yeah, yeah, it seems like that. But I mean, if they were the ones hit with the avalanche, how did they manage to survive the longest and get the furthest away? Yeah, and have no snow on them. It is. It, it seems the, the same. Strangest the same with Rusty uh, uh, seven inch fracture. Like, there was something seriously hit them with force, you know? Yeah. And soft snow could possibly not leave a mark if it's going to hit you. At that force and that volume, it may not leave, like, a very specific one-pointed mark, like a, a hammer to the head or anything, like, you know? Yeah. But this is where the investigation... I keep saying things get weirder. It gets a little bit it weirder. It does get weirder again. all the way to the end, though. Yeah, it like, gets a little bit weirder again. Uh, the original investigator, Lev Ivanov, uh, in 1959, rules in his final report that this uh, was probably due to uh, a compelling force of nature. <laughs> An unknown compelling force of nature was the cause. And what uh, what was seen as the real problem here is experienced uh, sort of upstanding ski hikers somehow losing their wits and going tearing out in the middle of the night half-dressed what made them tear out like that? Yeah, exactly. That's what happened? Bananas. And why is there no sign of anything that could have caused this? Why, why did they split the three factions? Why did they split the three groups? How did the injuries happen? How See, did all those injuries Here's happen? where all these questions start popping in now, dear, dear, dear listener. 
Mm. And Ivanov doesn't really help the situation because that's his original findings in 1959. But in 1990, he writes an article for a magazine uh, about the subject of the Diapolov Pass, which is still up there in the, in the yeah. social consciousness, saying that uh, he, he and the rest of his investigators had absolutely no idea what happened and never really came to any concrete conclusion. But one thing he knows is that uh, the story of lights reported in the sky by other groups, mountaineering and orienteering groups in the mm. area... There were three bright circular orange lights reported flying around in the sky, north about fifty kilometers north of this group, which is kind of around in the area of where the mountain was, the Dead Mountain. Uh, he says that when he was taking reports about that and filing them, he was instructed by the Russian military to not go down that line of questioning and to forget about it. <laughs> that sounds very ominous. Altogether. That does sound very ominous, and an odd thing from to like in nineteen ninety to say in a in a magazine article that the Russians told me not to do anything. Yeah. It's still, it's still pre, like, uh, it's still Soviet Union at this yeah. stage. It's, there's no glasnost and perestroika at this yeah. stage. Do what you're told. <laughs> yeah. It seems, you don't, you don't really hear a lot about Lev Ivanov after that. I'm not saying that he happened to him. I'm just saying he's he kind of quiet. Problem, yeah, yeah. He's, he's passed away. Um, but it's, I mean, again, the story kind of sits for a while. And, and there, there is no kind of explanation for what happened. There's certainly no official line on what happened. But the story... They say it was a, an unknown compelling force. An unknown compelling line. force. Yeah. Which may well be right on the money, but they didn't know what that unknown compelling force was. That was the problem. And the story kind of stagnates for a while. It's it's only about kind of 10 years later in 1999, a lot more information is released about the case. Uh, case files that no one's ever seen before are released. In 2000, a new documentary is released called The Diatlov Pass Incident. Just new uncoveries made, just new people being interviewed. In fact, uh, Yuri, that's not his name, is it? You say that one. Oh, Kuntsevich. Yeah. Yuri Kuntsevich now heads the Atlov Group Memorial Foundation from Yekaterinburg. Uh, he, he went to five of the funerals. Now, at the time, he was a really small, young chap. He wasn't that old. He's 12 years old, isn't Yeah, he? I mean, old enough to remember some shit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he wasn't exactly... Like doing an autopsy or anything like yeah. that. He wasn't like a, a medical doctor or some of qualifications. And and now he heads the Dyatlov Group Memorial Foundation from what he felt, heard, saw, thought at the time. And it's stuck with him his whole it, life. It's stuck with his whole life, promoted him to have a career in trying to find out the truth of what happened to this thing. And he, he went to five of the funerals of the hikers at, at that very young age. And he says, all their hair was grey hmm. and that they had this like bright orange like brown orange tan on their skin mm. now that would indicate some kind of like uh you know external force yeah possibly a heat source yeah there's two schools of thought on it some people say that it's from nuclear testing mm-hmm. that uh the, the the bright orange lights in the sky were you know bombs or missiles or mm. warheads of some kind and that the the bright light and the noise from the bombs scared the people out of their tents and made them run off. And uh, the radiation turned their hair white and their skin turned brown because of the the blinding bright Fun white light radiation. and heat of the radiation. And their clothes were found to have radiation in them. Uh-huh. Yeah, when they when they did uh, scientific experiments on the clothes, they were found to have radiation in them. Mm. Not massive amounts, yeah, but more than should be there for a place that's supposed to have no radiation. Hmm. Unless there's like uranium in the core of the rock or whatever in the mountain, right? And uh, the other school of thought is that this kind of tan, this kind of like, you know, uh, wizened brownness 
is often seen on, if you've ever watched any snowboarding movies or TV or clips or whatever, that you have these snowboarders who have like bleach blonde hair, blonde eyebrows and dark brown leathered skin. Yeah. Like this is from exposure to sun. So if you can imagine like the sun is baiting down, it's not warm. But the sun's baiting down. Yeah, but the rays are baiting. The UV rays are baiting. Through a cloudless sky. You're walking along a completely white. Reflective uh, floor. Yeah. So wherever you go, you're being. You're being bathed in UV rays all the time. And you're slapped with UV. And there's not a drop of sunscreen to be found for 2,000 miles. You get some zinc nose thing and look like a a cool Australian surfer dude. (laughs) But like, that's the kind of tan that these guys had. And if they're out there for that many days, you know. Facing up against white snow and the sun's baiting down with no clouds in the sky, you're going to get like a brownie kind of, you know, brown yeah. face to you. Um, but white hair, just, but a shock, just a weird, shock like, big enough yeah, to turn your hair have, white. They have like grayed hair yeah. and brown skin. It just seems like a weird detail, you know? Yeah. It's put. Yet it's another put, weird detail. Yeah, it's put another pillar under the, the craziness of the story from start to finish, you know? Yeah. And it's. Uh, the story's gone through a few different kind of retellings. There's. Yuri Yaravoy, who published the book of the highest degree of complexity in '67 about the incident, yeah. but he's always complained that he had he had three versions of the book, and they written. kept on censoring him. Isn't yeah, it? and they kept censoring and changing. And the the version of the book that's out has the leader of the group dying, but everyone else survives the incident. Hmm. Uh, that's how much he had to change the details of what happened, and a lot of things, uh, a lot of pieces of information uh, that have come up and connected themselves to the whole incident over time. He believes have come from false information that he's put forward in his books so he's putting information forward like Chinese whispers and he's hearing them back on I made that shit yeah I made that up that shouldn't be in there that shouldn't be part of the actual official narrative yeah and see that's happening see like if if you've seen the movie Devil's Past you'll know it's kind of a found footage building of the original story yeah always check your sources people yeah if you've seen the 2000 uh, Russian TV documentary you know again that's a sort of a rewritten, reimagined, reimagining tell, tale. Yeah. Because to be honest, like there's not really anybody can get from it. Only conjecture. Like you can only yeah. guess as to what happened. And the conjecture continues. You can only guess as to the, the actual exact timeline of what happened and mm. the way. Like, yeah, your man was found with his coat, with her coat and hat. So she, he must have died last. Yeah. Who's to say that he didn't, he didn't take it off? Or, he didn't take it off, or or like give her a bop coming out of the tent, and he pulled it like out from underneath her sleeping bag when they were coming out of the tent that she never actually had it on her that night at all that he went off on his own in some weird fur coat looking like uh, I don't know Robert Plant or something like rocking off into the thing like yeah they made the average bopping off with a woolly hat and a woolly coat like yeah they can also find anything man well, uh, this is like, and these kind of like made up narratives they continue throughout the, the entire history of this incident. Yeah, this is the problem: is a lot of the versions misinformation. Yeah, you look at online, are these reimagined versions or kind of altered versions of the truth? Almost like a creepy pasta version of what? What like nine dead bodies? What can we put around these nine dead bodies that give a really nice narrative and get us loads of clicks? Yeah. Like you have, you have Anatoly Gushkin who released the book "The Price of State Secrets Is Nine Lives." And in that, he 100% goes with the idea that it was a, a secret weapons test that he described. That a nuclear secret weapons test. A nuclear test. secret weapons well, test. I mean, the the, the Russians did have a propensity for nuclear testing in Siberia. They were doing that kind of stuff. Or possibly they stumbled on a, on a secret uh, installation or facility, well, or they saw a secret uh, plane or a jet fighter test. If anyone has ever watched the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats, based on a book by John Ronson. Great book, great movie, right? George Clooney plays a soldier who's uh, kind of semi-reluctantly dragged into this psychic spies training group uh, whose counterpart is 
Kevin Spacey, who's yeah. like an evil psychic guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and all these guys go through these like tests of uh, suitability for the, the upcoming Psyopic. tests and the psyops that are to follow. Jeff Bridges is the uh, weed smoking, acid taking, uh, I don't know, guru who's yeah. had like Eastern training and he the comes in with guru, this, military man. yeah, he's absolutely like brand new views of how the military should be run. And he's given kind of free reign. Um, basically like it's on the back of a French rumor that was spread between the Soviets and the Americans that the Soviets are doing psychic, psychic, you know, operations in military, psychic powers with military applications. And then the Americans are, Okay, well, we have to continue that. And the Russians are told the same thing all from one French news story. And this is like outlined in the book and in the, the movie as kind of a half a joke. Like, yeah, that, that really happened. So like the stuff like we were talking about in MK Ultra, where they'll show one uh, uh, slide has a square, one slide has a circle, one slide has a triangle or whatever. And you have to, it's the, the, the margin of error between guessing and knowing. Yeah. Right. So they're trained in this kind of, like psychic operations or whatever, right? Yeah. So to pick up vibrational information. Yeah, the, vibrational information. The atmosphere. So with that in mind, right? In real life, mm-hmm. apparently, apparently, allegedly, there was a psychic spies program that was installed in the military uh, to counteract these like Soviet psychic operations or whatever, right? Mm. And they had guys who were doing stuff like remote viewing. So if you know what remote viewing is, we don't have to listen to this bit. Remote viewing is basically like a, like astral projection, projecting your consciousness outside the body to be able yeah. to observe things, places, people, information. Yeah, anything from, anywhere. If your mind like can an, imagine being there, yeah. your mind can be there. From an, like an, an ethereal plane, ethereal plane or whatever. Right? So they did these uh, um, experiments. There was one guy called John Price who basically walked into a military installation and went, I am the shit. I can do this thing. Do you want to see? And they were like, show us. And he astrally projected himself into a secret underground military installation under the mountains in Virginia. And he went into an office and he went up to the office and he went up to the little plaque that's on the front of the desk. And he read the name and he came back to his own body, opened his eyes and said the name of such and such a Lance Corporal or Colonel or General or whatever. And uh, the people that were doing the tests on him went, okay, John. We'll call you. Don't call us. And he went home. And in the middle of the night, the hello lads burst into his house, arrested him, brought him back to the military installation. We're like, how the fuck did you know that name? Tell us now. Are you a spy? Are you a commie? Are you, what are you? And he's like, I told you, son, I do fly on my mind and I go be reading stuff on this in places that I can't be going with. <laughs> told you, son, didn't I? So was Brian. And... They were like, how did you do that? And how can you teach other people to do that? Right? So they did this, uh, loads of different experiments with like, say they'd, they'd send a lot of people around the world and they'd contact them and say, okay, at this time, at this place, hold up uh, these two plaques. One of them has a color on it. One of them has a number on it. Randomly pick them, note them down and send them to us. And we'd be able to correlate them against John Price's well, information. Yeah. So he was able to fly all around the whole world in this astral projection read and see all the colors and numbers, come back to his own body and reel them all off in whatever order they were he was asked. And we're all correct, 100%. Like, that's crazy, right? That's a fucking crazy story. I'm going to put that, try and find that uh, excerpt about John Price and the Second oh. Spice. 
Like, that's a mental story. Yeah. But one of the things that he said when he was doing his actual work for the government after they finished testing, they were like, okay, let's see what you got. And he would fly through the Oral Mountains, through these underground bases and say, yeah, they were constructing massive rockets. Like, at this point, they had a space program that was well in effect. Like, Yuri Gagarin was already being hired on to be like, yeah, you're the first, first man, man in space, let's yeah. go, you know, son. 1961, we're two years away from the first man in space. Yeah. Like, rocketry and rocket propulsion technology, like, the fuel that was going to take a rocket into outer space was there for Russia. They were on it, man. They were on it like a car bonnet. They knew exactly what we were doing, right? And they had all of these Operation Paperclip Nazis helping them out as well. Werner von Braun was the US rocketry expert. So, like, yeah. under the Ural Mountains, John Price claims they had all of these technologies, all this nuclear technology, all of these rockets, um, possibly some, like, future technology, some crazy shit, like some yeah. magnetic or microwave technology. We talked about in our in our uh, MK Ultra episode how the... How Broadcasting we, certain frequencies. Yeah, certain technology. frequencies and changing people's yeah. brain patterns. Uh, microwaving a whole set of uh, Russian dignitaries, the American government microwaving a whole set of Russian dignitaries in their building with these giant like microwave rays on trucks and shit like that. Like there's some really crazy and unethical experiments that were going on at the time. Yeah, and it's not unbelievable. This really, is 1959. Like yeah. it was two years before they launched Sputnik into space. Yeah, it's like totally believable that they would have these experiments in a time of you know Cold War, not a time of war, but definitely a time of technological advancement that if they're going to do something illicit or illegal or something that was you know beyond the realms of human human decency human dignity and you know human safety that they were going to keep these experiments on the down low knowing full well that the americans were doing the same sort of thing like at this time america wasn't in the vietnam war but they were gearing up for another conflict they had all these like chemical weapons that they had left over the technologies from world war ii that they developed all through the 50s and you know the brainchild of which ended up being stuff like agent orange do you know what i mean like they had crazy weapons that they were testing they had like really weird and maybe not fully announced technologies in 1959 Mm -hmm. one can only presume that russia had the same so under the euro they had to have there was a point where russia were more advanced yeah and and then we had to fake a moon landing. Yeah, catch you up. Know, we got to fake a moon landing. Why? These Russians, they're catching up over here. Like, who's to say that they didn't have massive underground military bases under the Ural Mountains? I mean, mm-hmm. if I was going to put a, an underground military installation, that's where I'd be putting it. Up yeah. the snow where no one would be coming near me. Yeah. They won't be doing any kind of tests. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can make whatever noise I want. The Ural Mountains is basically the converted attic bedroom of Russia. Yeah. Whatever happens up there happens and nobody has a fucking notion. And if they say anything about it, they'll just keep you there in the snow, in a gulag, and bait the shit out of you every day until you shut up. Like, there's no messing with these boys. Like, you know, the FS Bear, the KGB, as you know it, were in full effect. The military were in full effect. That's one of the, one of the conspiracy theories about it. That the military were all over it trying to, you know, do experiments and keep stuff on the down low. And these poor hikers stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute in more detail. But I mean, like, yeah. who's to say that it wasn't it wasn't an underground experiment that they stumbled into? What we're coming to now is is the thick of... Secret weapons, like from, from Anatoly Gushkin's 
uh, accusations that the price of state secrets is nine lives. Yeah. And these secret weapons uh, were, were covered up by, by the Russian military. That's just one of the many different avenues of, of, of investigation into a mystery that's really strange and unsolved. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? And the theories about what could have happened build up quite fast, and there's quite yeah. a lot of them, but none seem to like fully explain any... It sparked, it sparked inquiry, it sparked inquisitiveness in people going, what oh, absolutely, fuck? yeah. What is that? Like, how did nine people die almost, like, individually? Yeah, in the weirdest circumstances. In the weirdest way. That bitch has no lips. What happened to that bitch's lips, man? And if not that, then what happened to this dude? Or like, why did those motherfuckers climb that tree? Or how did that lad's skull get crushed and he not have any marks outside of him? Is that the, is that a, is that what happens when the Yeti punches you in the face? Why does your skull yeah. collapse like a fucking boiled egg? But the Yeti's fur is so soft that there's no marks left on the yeah. outside of your face. Is that what it is? He got punched in the face by a cloud. <laughs> the concussive force of the Yeti punch. When you say that thing earlier on, I never put that down to. Do you remember when we were saying about the, the chest cavities being crushed and mm-hmm. uh, the 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 skulls being like smashed up and stuff like that? How far would you be able to get with like a? a a fractured skull. A fractured skull and like a smashed up chest. If if like you saying, yeah, an avalanche did that to them. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that sounds totally plausible. Like they were in the tent asleep and a big load of snow fell on their head. Yeah. yeah. 50 tons of snow just comes crashing on their head. Yeah, that totally crush your, crush your chest. Yeah. And not only just snow, but like an avalanche is moving like rocks and giant lumps of ice as well. Like one of those motherfuckers hit you. That's, that's, a, that's the India. Yeah. And it's soft enough not to leave like a cut or a mark or whatever. Yeah. But they, they cut their way out of the tent. So they, they say they are hit by an avalanche. Or the man with the fractured skull, how is he going to cut his way out, run a, a, like a mile, or run like 1.5 kilometers away from the place, hmm. be able to sit around the fire and be like, some headache boys, and then be able to climb down a ravine and then make a hole in the ravine and put bedding in there to make a camp. With a load of fractures. With the idea of making it to morning and trekking out of there again. Yeah, with his skull being like Rocky in Rocky Five. Yeah. Not being able to take one more punch or you're going to die. Like, he had like a kinder egg skull and he was still able to do all that shit. How'd that happen? Did, did, did the injury happen when he was down in the ravine? Some people say that the fall into the ravine caused yeah. it. It's about, a four, other... it's about a four meter long trip from the top of the ravine down to the, yeah, the riverbed at the bottom. That's not going to smash his skull up. Like, no. Not in, not in to soft snowbank. snowbank riverbed. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. And you think one fell and cracked his skull and then another fell and caved his chest in. Two of them caved their chest in. Yeah. But didn't seem to have any other injuries. Didn't have like broken arms, no broken legs. Mm. Nothing suggests like a fall. That Maybe way. the two lads fell first and then the third guy fell and fractured his skull by landing on the lad's chests with his head. And then the last guy landed feet first on top of all of them and went, dummies. Uh, it was like a Slobotkin sandwich or something like it that. Could it could have been, but it, again, it's sort Sorry. of a, a leap of logic to some degree, but suggesting that the last man was the the one who was wearing Ludmilla's coat and hat was the one who died last because he was wearing a coat and hat. He could have been the boy that freaked out and boxed the head off. Boxing and killed everybody else, yeah. So if, with, with the avalanche then, like, Okay, well, looking into the idea of an avalanche... Here's Let's what we, look at the theories of what happened then. Okay. Well, here's what we know. Between 6 and 7, maybe, that evening, they had their last meal. They'd already put the camp up and they, they had a meal. That's known because the food in their stomachs was found to be digested for about yeah. 6 to 8 hours. They're able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's suggested that around 6 p.m. Yeah, yeah, around 6 p.m. they had their last meal 
and then all passed away somewhere between kind of 1am and 4am. 3 in the morning. Yeah. Sometime around that period of time. That's a really long time to survive against hypothermia though. Yeah. Because in that kind of conditions and that kind of temperatures, like I said earlier on, my research led me to the number 15 minutes. Like it takes 15 minutes for your body to go, fuck this and go and sleep. Yeah. And you just go to sleep and you just slip away, you know. Which seems strange because it's a... it's a decent amount so of time between like five hours. Yeah, and also, I mean, for me, like, okay, let's say it was an avalanche. Mm. For me, my first problem with the avalanche theory, and the first problem I have with the avalanche theory begins as soon as you say avalanche theory with the tent. It begins with one, why wasn't the tent completely covered right. if it was an avalanche? Two, why weren't the footprints obscured if okay, it was an avalanche? Okay, I'll take them one at a time then. Okay. The avalanche happened. Yes. Tents covered. Yes. Everyone's buried. Yes. Shit themselves. Yes. They're in a dry bag. Yes. Covered in like tons of snow. Yes. How do we get out of here? Let's all stand up and try and shake the snow off the tent. Okay. And then when we're finally at the surface and we can feel that we're at the surface, we have a bit of give and a bit of leeway. Let's cut the doors and climb out. Okay. So so in the climbing out, boy, wait, 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 you'll, the you'll shake all the snow off the tent mm-hmm. and then you'll stumble around for your knife in the dark in the inside of the tent and mm-hmm. pull your knife out and cut the tent open. Well, they were all probably squashed together. That's what the, the chest cavity in the brain. Yeah, is. but you wouldn't put your trousers on or put your shoes on. Even if you're completely naked, you wouldn't just throw your boots on. No socks, unlaced. And Maybe they were already in boots when it happened. They weren't fully naked or fully in bed at that time. They were just lying down. Okay, so they had their clothes on. Jackson, like, already. Okay, so you they take, hadn't fully got into their sleeping bag. They take them off and then leave the tent. Is that what you're saying? Because the, the clothes are found in the tent. <sighs> Remember, the, the clothes aren't found strewed around the side of the mountain or down by the tree. The clothes are all found in the tent. So, well, apart from the clothes that are on them when they're frozen, everything else is found in the tent. In the tent? In the tent. So see all my questions start there in the tent. Okay. If they if they rush out of the tent because an avalanche is coming, that explains why they get out of there kind of semi naked and everything. Yeah. But then where are all the signs of the avalanche? Why are there footprints? Surely yeah, after running away, it'd be like quick run and then the, the avalanche hits. avalanche covers the tent. If the case is they were no hit tent. with the avalanche and then dug their way out, and that's why the tent is half covered in snow, and that's why their footprints are seen because it's after okay. the avalanche Let's hit. Say, why not grab some people, of your clothes? One or two people who were clothed mm-hmm. ran out first the rest of the lads who okay. had those injuries were in the tent yes then after the avalanche the lads came back yes helped the other people out they cut them out yes from the inside or whatever and everybody came out and they all went down and made a fire by the by the thing but with because everything they because they couldn't stay on that slope because there's a chance of more avalanches oh, so there was like the two Yoris were in their underwear saying let me grab more clothes and they were saying no 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 the Atlas was like no get down get down off the slope now this thing could go again let's get in the woods it'll be warm enough in the woods and we, 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 fire. Yeah, we go fine. we find our cache of stuff and we can yeah. we can dress you up like yeah we'll get a couple of blankets that's and plausible around you. is that not plausible yeah that's not completely insane we, saying we like, have to know the exact details of the footprints in and out was there footprints in and out or was it just like nine set the footprints out for 500 metres and then nothing hmm. but here's a big question that goes along with all of it for me Mm. I don't know you You talk about being in that cold mm. I've never been in that kind of cold before like a minus 20 I don't know what a minus 20 is like. really cold is it yeah have you ever um, you've been outside in a minus 20 before yeah so you can imagine what it's like to say be in a tent not oh, quite yeah. inside with no a big crack. roaring fire but not no. quite outside but in a tent no, no crack zero crack zero, zero crack. crack do you think they would have disrobed down to their underwear to sleep shoes socks everything Depends I mean, on the I'm underwear. Sh- I mean, if it's like thermal long johns or whatever, you don't know what what, what were they wearing. Mm. I wouldn't say they'd be wearing just like 
boxer, boxer shorts yeah, or, boxer or whatever with yeah. no t-shirt I'd say they'd be wearing like full length and probably you had and maybe serious heavy duty sleeping bags or whatever the best technology of 1959 sleeping bag was yeah 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 well I mean like long johns is what I presume when you say it Underwear, when I say jocks, I wouldn't be thinking like they're sitting around in their, in their tidy whities under a tree, like going, Yuri is freezing. I know Yuri, your nipples are cutting my arm. Like it's like, it's jocks, like it's yeah. fucking, you know, so get the kind of the wetter outer gear off. Yeah. For the night and stay in the long johns. Yeah, is it wrap up the same bag? Basically, yeah. So not unbelievable. So, so far we're not, not unbelievable that they're in their jocks. So avalanche hits. Some people are, get out or are able to hear it and get the per- people yeah, nearest, nearest the to the door people nearest to the door hear the thing pull out a knife cut 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 run yeah Kent gets covered the rest of the lads inside are like you fuckers you left us and we're like dude you know you wouldn't have got out I wouldn't have cut the tent blah 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 they get out through the cut tent and they're all like oh my head and you're like what happened to you I got squished and then they all make it down the mountain then eventually eventually but that kind of ignores the, the the eight or nine sets of footprints all going off in scattered directions. Yeah. If that theory is true... That means that they did it at different times. They ran off in different times. Or yeah. ran off not really wanting to stay with each so other. So run! This narrative still works if, if, yeah, if Yuri and a few... Uh, and the other... And Dyatlov and the other people that weren't uh, found with any injuries. If they tear down to the tree and then eventually... The rest of them drag themselves out and find their way down to the tree and they go, ooh, sorry, we thought you were dead. Yeah. Sorry we left you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I can see that narrative. So they're sitting under the tree and they break up some branches and they light a fire. So an avalanche has just happened. And there's no broken bones with any of the, f- any people, any of the victims that were found. There's no, like, broken legs or broken arms. No broken arms. legs, broken Nothing. arms. It's, it's Jesus, man. Two very similar chest injuries and two similar head injuries. Maybe they were people's. sleeping, like... Uh, head to toe or whatever at a certain point where there was a certain huge amount of pressure from an avalanche that's possible so they get down to the tree they light the fire and the two Yuri's decide to climb the tree and have a look for the tent that's yeah. been covered in snow yeah. thinking this is our life force this is our chance to stay alive is to get back to this tent get to our clothes get to our supplies and get to our wives and, and we're like I'm freezing the most it's, yeah. it's, it's my duty almost. prerogative to get yeah, up this yeah. tree ASAP because nobody else wants to do it nobody else has the energy I'll expend the last of my energy trying to do this so they get up the tree have a look now the group that dragged themselves out of the tent because they suffered all the injuries in the tent in the avalanche do they not mention that they they half dug up the tent when they were getting out of it because the tent's found not covered yeah kind of half up almost with and the, the footprints still are still there and the footprints are still there one of the poles is still up in the tent so do they fight the tent back up to the, the surface after the, the avalanche and then forget they did that? Yeah, it's very odd. The and why did the Yuris in the pitch black of night try and climb the tree to see? Like if they couldn't see up the, the not too incredibly steep slope to where they think they were camping or see their footprints even. Like again, they need to see one footprint and follow that to the next one like two inches away. Uh-huh. And that one the next one. So all they need to do is be able to see about two inches ahead of themselves to follow the footprints back. Yet they climb a tree to have a look. Mm. That seems mm. But again, they could still be operating under some kind of hyster- hysterical paranoia for some reason. Yeah, well, that's one of, that's sure one of the theories then as well, you know? So, like, a, a mass hysteria incident, like something that if everybody thought the same thing and they all went the same way, would explain some parts of it. But they all died in different places of mm. really different injuries. It's so it's weird. Like, I mean, for me, for scary, me, Avalanche is, win- is winning... Uh, but when you kind of break down my arguments, it 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 sounds like it fits totally certain areas of the of the narrative. Like it fits the internal yeah. injuries, but no yeah. particular external sources. 
Uh, another thing that's been mentioned for that, and one of the things the Discovery Channel really, yeah. really believes may have been the cause of this incident. Mermaids. Not like quite, mermaids, not no. quite, no. It's a, it's a Yeti attack. Yeah. Uh, a Sib- Siberian Yeti. I really hope they're 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 they're, there's a new guy, I read a, like a, an article about the new guy who's taken over Discovery Channel, and he's like, mm-hmm. no more bullshit documentaries. Yeah, I saw that. Discovery is Discovery for a reason. We're not doing any more bullshit. And I'm like, good. Yeah. Because people are going around thinking the shit is the truth. Yeah. Like, uh, honey boo boo and shit. And then other people, like me, have just stopped watching Discovery Channel altogether. Because so people go, Discovery. have you seen Wormhole, the thing and thing? And I go, no, I don't watch that. I don't care if it's good. I don't watch that channel anymore. Yeah, man. But that's Discovery's that's fault. But hopefully like, they're, they're changing things around. Pull it back. But they have an hour and a half long documentary that will will link up on the website. Because it's, it's still, you know what, they're still kind of fun to watch. We linked up all Discovery the... Discovery Channel, the Russian Yeti. Yes, it's called Hashtag Russian Yeti. No, that's uh, what it's called. Um, but it's... Uh, the Russian Yeti has a Bebo page. He does, yeah. I'm waiting for Bebo to come back to fashion. Yeah. He's uh, only 13 year old at the moment. What? Yeah. Russian Yeti have Bebo page? <laughs> that you, Sasquatch? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Russian Yeti. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? It's cold over here, you know? Um, I'm okay. Why you kill all those nice hiker people? Don't talk about this. <laughs> Oh, poor John. Why, why? <laughs> yeah. Why you kill, why you kill those people? Poor so Russian, Russian Yeti killed all these motherfuckers. Well, supposedly, this is what the Discovery Channel believe may have happened and poured a lot of money into making a documentary about, uh, is the idea that a Yeti did it, that the Yeti, <laughs> Jesus Christ. the big Yeti paw has the strength why? to crush a skull and, yeah, and cave in no a chest, marks. but leave no marks because of its, its massive area. Um, and, you know, Dissipation of pressure. Uh, Other scientific words that the Discovery Channel uses that make no dissipation. sense. Yeah. Dysentery. Yeah. Oh, that's what the Yuri Yudin had. That's what it was. Yeah. No, it was rheumatoid arthritis, people. That's what he painted as, and uh, he's painting something else with dysentery. Yeah, he was. Back in the toilet wall. Yeah. What? But the, see, again, the Yeti one is hard to go because you think with the, like, there were footprints left in the snow by the hikers mm. that were so distinct that the search party could tell on seeing them that some of them were bare feet and that the, only one of them had one shoe on. There was only one shoe between the nine people. Yeah. Like, this was... That was Rush at the time, though. It was very hard. Yeah, true, yeah. It was hard. Yeah. Shoe taxes all over yeah. the place. Uh, but uh, look, you think if there was a Yeti, there'd be Yeti Before marks, we go down so. the rabbit hole on this, this mm-hmm. is one of those doc- uh, documentaries, or this is one of those topics, you know, conspiracy topics, that because there's such little concrete information, people will infer... Yeti in for um, <laughs> good pun. Thanks, Sasquatch. Um, it's one of those things where, like, they'll infer a lot of information that may mm-hmm. not be there. They'll take the slightest piece of information and, like, be able to make any fucking thing you want. Be able to just, like, manipulate the information in a tiny, slight way to be able to make your narrative be the one that fits. Like, I mean, if you really want to bang that square peg into that mm-hmm. round hole, you can make Avalanche work. You yeah. can make Avalanche the thing and this happened because of this and this and this and why did and that happen the end of just it. because yeah do you know what I mean but like the Yeti thing sounds like a bunch of bullshit it does a little bit yeah sounds like a bunch of bullshit like yeah. the only real credence at all to the Yeti thing because nothing says Yeti about it really the only real credence is the, there's reports and you see them in some of the, the documentaries uh, we'll be linking up where it said that there was a note found in the tent that says now we know that snowmen exist 
does that note actually exist? Does that note even exist? And if it does, I mean, it's known that uh, they, were, they were all, almost all of them were keeping a diary at the time. Again, this is like kind of 1959. Yeah. People kept diaries and journals back then. This is how they remembered things. They didn't have a, a Facebook wall profile picture <laughs> yeah. collage. Look yeah. back and they were able to read and write as well, I suppose. Yeah, true, yeah. in these days. So uh, it, it's possible one of them could have written as a joke. It's possible it actually was found in the tent or not. But it, to me, that's the only link... And it's fairly unsubstantiated that no ever existed at all. That's mm. the only link there seems to be with Yetis. But again, enough for the Discovery Channel to waste an hour and a half of my time. <laughs> Discovery Channel. <laughs> I thought after the mermaid debacle, I thought you'll never fool me again. Fool me once. Fool me once. Fool you. And then like an hour. Fool me twice. You, you won't fool me no more. <laughs> Thanks, well, Sasquatch. Won't get fooled again. <laughs> Sasquatch uh, like who? Who? No, who? He's on first. Sasquatch like Marx Brothers. Sasquatch like Lord and Hardy. Who on first? No, Marx Brothers. Oh, no. Like Lord and Hardy joke. I know this. I watch Rain Man. <laughs> Tom Cruise, my favorite. Tom Cruise. Uh, another another possible theory put forward for what could have happened is is a tribal attack if not a yeti if not an abominable yeah these people snowman. are not, these these mansi tribe yes that's these, the local kind of indigenous inuit people of the area yeah they're they're like the uh native american indians of siberia mm, the northern urals <laughs> <laughs> that's really weird to say yeah they are though that's, they, that's they, almost they, exactly yeah. what they are they, yeah they look pretty much the same mm-hmm. uh, f- like facial features wise they have like you know weird like tatar dress and have like you know their own distinctive musical stylings they have this uh thing it's like a jews harp that they play as their instrument and hmm. they're very territorial and they're very good hunters and they're hardy bastards to be living out in siberia yeah and supposedly quite rough as well there's stories of a geologist that met his end but at the hands of some mansi tribesmen because he wandered onto their land and was seen taking coarse apples from their land yeah well, stealing I mean, their earth if you were a mansi and you believed in you know the, the power, power of the of earth it. yeah and someone was coming along and robbing it on you you'd be just like put it down and they're like i don't understand you you're like yeah. put down oh, sorry okay tomahawk to the head it is oh shit man you know? no I don't want to say Tomahawk, that's what I say. What a Mansi, what a Mansi, what a Mansi, what a mighty good Mansi. But uh, we don't believe it was the Mansi that did this. Again, like, if they... If the they, tongue cutting out bit. The tongue of, cutting out of, bit. Of, uh, uh, what was your one's name? Ludmila. Ludmila, is that the one that got her tongue Lugmila cut out? Ludmila Dublinia. Okay, Dublinia got her tongue cut out. Mm-hmm. Could it be that the wolf came along and saw a tasty treat, a tasty pink snack, mm-hmm. and, 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 and like crows at her eyes? It's absolutely, absolutely very sure. possible. Is it possible that, as a symbol, the Mansi people cut her tongue out at the root, pulled her tongue out at the root, and took her eyes and her lips and prostrated her over a rock like the girl from the start of True Detective? As a symbol, is it possible that the Mansi did that as a, a punishment for camping on their land? Jumping on the chest of the yeah, other, uh, and mean, the head of the it's other. It's as possible as the fucking Yeti. Mm-hmm. Does it explain all the deaths of all the people? No. Mm-hmm. Is it a tenuous link to possibly some kind of a ritual that they may have heard of that the Mansi do with tongues or like the, the the removal of the tongue features heavily in Devil's Pass, the movie of this. So obviously it's a big part of it, like that, you know, Ludmila Dublina mm. like her her tongue was removed. 
that's a big thing that sticks with people. They're like, Jesus. Yeah. Her tongue was like, her, that's Jesus. Crazy. You know. And you hear it, it may well have been done when she was still alive. Yeah. And then and all the injuries all the blood were all and, yeah. happened while they were still alive. Like, it seems like torturous. It seems like, yeah. you know, somebody was out to, to do them some, some real damage. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't yeah. like an avalanche. It was like freezing to death from exposure is bad enough, but. Freezing to death exposure, but with a full belly of your own blood. Yeah. I mean, at least you well, one slightly cuts your tongue and your eyeballs out. Yeah, yeah. It's no crack at all. It's no crack. Minus mm. crack. So yeah, minus twenty five degrees Celsius crack. Do I think that the Mansi did that? Would they? Would they do well, that? Well, there's no, there's no particular tales. The Mansi's claiming ears or eyes or tongues or lips as as prizes. But I mean, it, mm. it is a thing that's known of, of certain Inuit tribes. But the fact of the matter is, again, does aside from the missing tongue and. You know, no particular connection between the Mansi tribe and taking tongues. There isn't much of a connection otherwise. They're not like uh, Dolph Lundgren in Universal Soldier where everybody he kills, he he cuts off an ear mm. and he makes a lovely necklace out of it. Well, don't forget, like, yeah, these people were found like four months, well, two, and a, two months or so after the initial find of the first group. Mm. And the first group were found three, four weeks after they'd first gone missing and they were still tracked via their footprints and, and other markers around. These were, the search party that went there were good trackers and yeah. they say that they spotted no sign of anyone else being in the area. So the Mansi wouldn't have been, unless they were like super light-footed, wouldn't mm. be able to get in and get out. Well, wouldn't have been able to, marks, like, like to have had such a, a, a gruesome scene where somebody's tongue was cut out and left no footprints or anything. And they were never impl- implicated into the investigation, no? No, apparently not. And and this gives rise again to one of the conspiracy theories that they did it and that the reason there is no implications on having done it at all is because the Russian government were covering it up as not to have a, a diplomatic incident. incident with these uh, native Inuit people. Diplomatic but, immunity revoked. Mm. It's Mansi. <laughs> like that's. It seems. It seems unbe- unbelievable. It seems yeah. implausible. That one, yeah, just seems kind of tacked on as, as as an option. Absolutely. Speaking of things that were tacked on as a possible option, <laughs> what could have happened? There is, of course, the <laughs> aliens theory. <laughs> now, as you'd expect, uh, well, I mean, as crazy as this one seems, the only reason it's backed up anywhere again is a couple of reasons. One, the irradiated clothing. Yeah. The radiation on the clothing and the and the aging aging. And the, the, the browning of the skin. Yeah, the browning of the skin and the, the graying of the hair uh, of the victims, supposedly. Um, but the other thing is a group of hikers that were about 50 kilometers south of, of the mountain, of Dead Mountain. And they reported that north, 50 kilometers away, roughly in the area of Dead Mountain where these people were camping, they saw three orange spheres uh, flying around in the sky and glowing. Okay. And this report of orange lights or orange spheres in the sky was repeated over a couple of months and years. Hmm. in this part in the Ural region this is something that was seen a lot no, so orange lights in the Ural mountains the whole time yeah it's 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 something that's reported quite a lot there uh, and this night was no different but a different group of hikers from a different area reported having seen this well before the bodies were found of the people right so uh, a strange one but I mean you know could could have been a natural phenomenon called the lights could have been a, a Soviet weapons test or a, a new type of aircraft test it's difficult to say as far as it like, I don't know why are the Russians experiment with that kind of technology at that time. Like, mm. are they really going for that like jet propulsion? Are they really going for that like anti grav kind of Area Fifty One stuff? It could be. Did well, they have did, like? I mean, there's there's as many if not more crashes of UFOs in Russia. I mean, like and stuff like the Tunguska incident and stuff like that, where you know, uh, strange, it's definite, definite like extraterrestrial or otherworldly phenomenon, definitely happening in Russia, and because of the sheer landmass, 
like the the amount of places that a thing could crash and be hidden forever. Yeah, or or like crash and be found way later on, or do you know what I mean? Like the size of the US and how many crashes have UFOs has had, and the size of Russia. Like I'm sure the amount of crashes is directly proportionate to the size of the country. Yeah, do you know what I mean? With the is a crash on. Um. Also, according to like the secret agreement that the main power countries of the world have come to is that if anybody finds any, you know, EBEs or UFOs that they would take the, take the technology, keep your mouth shut, uh, execute the lives of any of the EBEs so there's not like an interstellar hostage incident or whatever. Um, I've also read stuff and watched stuff that say that there is like a UFO dumping ground out on like Eastern Siberia, like away from the Urals, but like that they're able to whatever ships they get or whatever like wreckage they, they salvage it's it's put out by outer mongolia and just like dumped in this place and it has like a big hole in the ground with a lot of ufos yeah that they find in russia like it's 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 well they find well, bits of ufos yeah, all the time it's yeah. well documented that people in russia you know see like crazy lights in the sky and all these dash cams and all like are, are, are showing that fucking mad shit happens hmm. and a lot of people see it and aren't, don't have any proof of it ever i mean Orange lights in the sky it could be stuff like meteors. It could be stuff because because you're up so north northerly, it could be like a, a, a celestial procession. It could yeah, be planets like it, moving. And it could be a, a, a geological event, like something like you know, absolutely. like northern lights or aurora borealis, or it could be you know, uh, uh, meteors passing through the the atmosphere. Like we had meteor showers, and we're at a, a much lower latitude mm. than they normally would be. Um, if you're if you're up in the northern hemisphere, the uppermost northern hemisphere, you'd almost always see shooting stars because the meteors are passing through that very thin layer of of the ozone and stuff. And we're a lot the the line of sight is a lot more practical for seeing that kind of phenomena in the yeah. sky. Um, so the maybe atmosphere. yeah, maybe they were they were seeing like lights seeing something stars incredible like that. Yeah, like that. I mean another part where it comes from the alien story is that the injuries that some of them suffered and the the mysterious nature of the injuries sometimes fits in line with certain alien abduction well, stories. Well, I say they're indicative of alien abduction stories, yeah. like grey hair and, and, and tan skin and yeah. radiation and stuff. It's like, yeah. Like radiation been, or the, the idea that time you know? passed, that there was a loss of time, as you get in a lot of uh, alien abduction stories. Yeah. Well, it seems they were out there for an inordinate amount of time for hypothermic conditions. Uh, like, they, they shouldn't have lasted more than a few minutes and their jocks out in the cold and that cold. And they lasted for five hours before they died. Yeah. Like, they were hardy bastards, like, and the other guys presumably in the ravine lasted for even longer again. Yeah. Do you know? Enough, yeah. Enough that they lit a fire and it managed to burn out again. And yeah. And they were able to climb up a tree and climb back down And some crawl back and built a shelter out of uh, in the ravine. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And then made some bedding in the shelter. Yeah, they were they were alive for long enough after it happened. Could, before. It, be long, could it be long enough to be able to be like, okay, like these aliens are, have abducted us and put us back down again. Like mm. five hours seems an, an inordinate amount of time. And they didn't realize survive that, in those conditions. that they were they were dropped back down after the alien abduction only a kilometer and a half from where their tent actually was. Yeah. As far as they were concerned, they were they were in the middle of nowhere. They could have been anywhere. Yeah. That's yeah. why they like, that's why they climbed up a tree to see where they were, possibly. Yeah. To see if they could see the mountain peak or, or like uh, presumably they were good enough orienteers and hikers, mountaineers, that they were able to tell direction from the stars yeah. and be able to navigate using stars. So maybe the, the stars. two Yoris climbed the tree, saw the tent and said, hey, wait a minute, the aliens dropped us back quite close to our tent. Do you want to crawl up there, do you? Yeah. Love? And he's like, okay, I need two people to go with me. Let's sit by and the fire for a minute, get some warmth in us and then try. And by the time they leave to try, the fire's gone out, the two Yoris are dead. 
three more die on the way up to the tent, yeah. and the other four think we're not going back to the tent. There's obviously some force that's still there that's that's doing us no good. Let's yeah, go back into the back. woods. I ain't going Let's back. Get some there, cover man. in the woods where the UFOs can't see us. You sound like you're leaning towards aliens, isn't it? As an answer, I do. Uh, you're really animated when you're answering that question you're like yeah and then and we go up like that's you believe in it see my problem is I believe in aliens I just don't believe in aliens in this situation yeah see that's again in, just kind of nothing and in there in there lies the vacuum of bullshit where people go something weird happened aliens because they love aliens like here's the thing there's the talk of the great hair of the especially the four yeah. last victims but there's just photographs of every corpse that was found from the search party team that arrived on the scene and it's in black and white so they're in black and white so you can tell hair that's grey and it's not but a lot of them have dark hair a lot of them don't have great hair in fact I don't know if any of them have great hair from what I saw mm, I didn't I don't remember specifically seeing any grey hair really. white hair yeah so there's a chance that that one's not particularly the truest thing in the world mm. as far as the orange tan I mean I guess they could be you're going to believe a 12 year old boy I used to have some you're going to believe a 12 year old boy yeah and yeah also, I shifted her you wouldn't know her she's from another country well like, according to a 12 year old boy yeah there was there was you know other people at the funerals who noted this but I mean that's all coming from that 12 year old boy who's going <laughs> to a man whose entire life and career is to do with this incident and, and he keeping this own, incident alive he is his own source <laughs> yes and also I mean you know, it's possible that certain amounts of exposure would have caused that tanning of the skin anyway. Yeah, like we said earlier on. If their heads hadn't it, been buried it, in snow it's immediately. In, it's indicative of, like, uh, uh, snow tanning, like, from the, from the white reflective surface. Yeah, you exactly. see on snowboarders' faces. That that beautiful hue of mahogany brown, you know. That's a difficult one to say. Where it gets far more believable for me in the, the theories of what happened is, is some sort of military test. Yeah, it seems this like where, an underground military base that got accidentally stumbled upon and, you know, the shit went down. Yeah, lights in the sky and lightly irradiated clothes and um, disoriented humans speaks more to me of like a weapons test or stumbling across a secret facility and maybe like a... A microwave hit. technology yeah or, or a hit team of soldiers comes pouring out of a secret bunker mm. because they've been disturbed that seems more likely to me than than the alien one at this point in time yeah. um it just seems a little too weird for the aliens to have done it like but it seems the, Russia, the human russian government were well in with all that kind of secret science kind of stuff Absolutely. from their world war ii uh acquisitions do you know yeah. like they were well on they knew exactly what the crack was. i mean although, if you stumble on a secret base you're probably gonna end up dead and I mean, they could have disappeared them completely, but I mean, just as easy to, to let them freeze in the snow and, and have it be uh, active <laughs> a mystery. nature, a force majeure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Lock the doors, down. like, let us in. No. Yeah. Let us in. We don't know where the tent is. No. There is one version, again, we, we've talked about these kind of, uh, kind of reimagined tellings of the story. And this is the big problem with this story is that it's been fictionalized so many times. And there's another version out only recently in the book, uh, Death in the Footsteps by Alexei Rakitin. Uh, and he puts forward the idea that a few of the group were actually secret KGB members uh, recruited through the, the Ural Polytechnic Institute that they were part of mm. and that they were out on uh, a secret mission, uh, unknown, and uh, came across an enemy force, possibly a, a CIA group that was mm. trekking in the area, also looking for something or possibly meeting with them and that an altercation broke out and that the injuries and the, the scene itself is explained by... Uh, said altercation and then a stealthy cover up of the scene. So, like the injuries without any wounds was kind of like some like futuristic gravity weapon or something. Something like that, or 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 maybe the orange lights were aliens that were coming and they had informed the 
world uh, political leaders that they were going to be landing at that particular area and the Americans turned up as well as the Russians and they had a little bit of a kerfuffle fired off their laser beams it's absolutely possible yeah. it's possible that like maybe maybe they did have outward trauma to do with the injuries but because it was a secret weapons test the Russian government covered it up and yeah the, the, the autopsies were all like no nah, nothing's on yeah. there but sorry, he has a laser laser burn in the middle of his face. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Yeah. But it, no, no, he doesn't, I said. And I said, no, let the mystery build, make it as mysterious as possible, the story. And then we get away with it. And then people will be off searching in the wrong direction forever. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to feed them, like the US government does quite a lot, is feed them a bullshit narrative that makes absolutely no sense and then have people pick holes in that for the rest of the time. Yeah. Maybe the Russian idea was feed you no narrative and let you pick holes in a, in a holy still, nothing. It's still a pretty, pretty vague narrative. Like, you know, they, they still have something something in it, but it's quite vague. Like, mm. uh, with a lot of options. It's difficult, though, because the nearest known military base in the Svetlas region is 600 miles away. That's really far. Like, yeah. It's, and I mean... Would you think it'd be that far without the military installation? On the maps, it seems like, yeah, that's... Definitely. Oh, you mean not on the books? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's but probably there's something still, not on the books be, in that area. It'd be definitely a cool, like, to have, you know, military military base under the Urals. Like, it's like, you know, it's their, that's their NORAD or whatever, yeah. you know? I think it was, if it was... I wouldn't be surprised to find out in years to come that there is something there. You know? Yeah, or that and this entire incident was traceable back to the Russian military. Then the problem is, if it is traced back to the Russian military and therefore the Russian government, then you can almost ignore every piece of information. Well, you can yeah. almost do that now anyway. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing on the end of this umbrella. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry, you've poked into your leg. Sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry. But uh, then we get to the end of the run. This is this is where we've reached today. This is the most recent findings. Uh, this most released, recent theories. Yeah, most recent theories. Last year, this, this theory was released with a book. Um, and the idea is that the cause of this entire thing was, was again, a strange kind of Final Destination-esque series of chance events mm. you know aircraft investigation type situation where all of these things have to come together to yeah. create this incredibly odd it's scene very grasping at straws but it's all explainable through as yet not heavily documented natural phenomena mm. now the thing that we're talking about and the thing that's been blamed for possibly having caused all of this is a thing called car man vortex street now you may think i just said four random words there <laughs> i'm gonna say it again Bicycle monkey windmill flap. No, wait, was it? Oh, uh, Car Carman Vortex Street. Carman Vortex yes. Street. Now this is a uh, this is named after. Can you tell me how to get how to get, get the Carman Vortex, Vortex Street? Street. Yeah. This is, this was named after Theodore von Carman, who was uh, an engineer and fluid dynamist, uh, and he actually worked for NASA. He worked in the Jet Propulsion Labs. It's all about the fluids, boy. Yeah, and he worked out uh, this thing he called Carmen Vortex Street this theory but it's it's real yeah, yeah. of uh well can you explain it it's it's a well, tricky it, thing it's it's one of these like um strange phenomena in physics you know yeah. where a quirk of nature yeah a quirk of nature where a wind or a force usually wind I'd say wind um I I'm not sure if it if it happens as readily with water but definitely with wind if it's hit if it hits a spherical object or cylindrical object that the wind will undulate around the round section of it and kind of flick from side to side yeah 
after after a couple of seconds. Now we're going to put a, a a diagram up on the website to to kind of visually illustrate this. It's very hard to describe. In a yeah, jump to the website and have a look, or you can Google it right now. But yeah. the point is, Karma Vortex Street, like there's a GIF, there's a GIF, like in the first like couple of Google. Yeah, K A R M A N. So the wind is blowing in one direction. It comes in contact with a cylindrical obstacle. And on the other side of that cylindrical obstacle, it's causing these small tornadoes that come in quick succession, mm. left, right, left and right. And it makes like a line of these uh, tornadoes from the wind going around the circular object and hitting the wind coming from the other side of it mm. and causing like a small, Fall back on a, itself. A, yeah, a small, a small cyclone yes. on one side and then as that cyclone moves away the wind flips the source wind flips to the other side and puts one out on the other side and the force of that makes the wind go back again and it just flits from left to right firing out these tiny little uh, uh, lick of flame looking uh, tornadoes now depending on the size of the instrument depending on the size of the obstacle you can get massive massive wind resistance from these tornadoes these small tornadoes and they they produce a sound they produce frequencies and stuff like that right what kind of frequency are we talking about well see the camera vortex street depending on the size of the object it's hmm. the, the speed of the wind yeah, the down, size the middle, of the object yeah down the middle of the street it's 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 causing a hum so it's, it's hmm. a very very low resonant hum from the wind so the wind is normally blowing if you've ever heard the wind blow it's like a rumbling like a serious wind up a mountain on the side of you know the side of a hill, you know, where, where it has it has no impedance, it has nothing that's stopping it. It has a massive fetch and it's it's loud. It's a big thing, you know. Um, so these Karma Vortex Street tornadoes were happening on this mountain, on this dead mountain, mm-hmm. right? Because it has a cylindrical top. Now the suggestion that this was the reason behind it was because there's a mountain in Flagstaff in the US. That does the very same thing, and on the opposite side of the mountain, they've built these like um, impedance uh, banners where they put these like uh, flat panels that stops the wind. Like the fins going, yeah, down fins it. like to stop the wind whipping around the cylindrical object. Right? They also have for uh, what was it like grain stores and stuff like that, yeah, silos, in, and silos in uh, you know the plains in America, towers where they like have. That a big fetch they have a big area for the wind to catch speed mm-hmm. and it's it's like flying unimpeded towards these massive grain silos so these grain silos have these like uh, it's like a helter skelter slider on yeah, the side. Them, yeah, okay. so it's not pure cylindrical it's not a flat surface and so that the uh, wind is not hitting the surface and then causing these small tornadoes which can be like quite powerful and yeah. but the main part of this conspiracy theory about that the Atlov Pass is that these Carmen Vortex Street tornadoes that were produced by the Dead Mountain as the wind hit it were causing these tornadoes to come around and the the hiker's tent was in the middle of this Carmen Vortex Street. Like, who's out in the middle of a street on the side of a mountain? Like, yeah. come on. Get it right, like. Yeah, get hit by a car plane in the middle of the street. Yeah, get hit by a Carmen Vortex car. Yeah, that's what John Lennon's man told me. <laughs> so, these... Uh, these tornadoes, uh, it's called vortex shedding, right? Mm-hmm. So when one of these uh, tornadoes starts to spin, it produces a, a tone, yeah. right? And these these frequencies are damaging, to, like uh, at a subsonic level, right? To to buildings, to you know uh, uh, fixtures, to 
structures like they can be damaging because they're causing like vibrations at a very mm-hmm. very low level so like vortex shedding was the reason for the original tacoma narrows bridge in 1940 to be decommissioned because it wasn't fully prepared for this like physical phenomena and they had to take the bridge down because the the frequency of the vortex shedding didn't match that of the bridge so they hadn't had it prepared Mm -hmm. and what was happening was it was called uh, aerolastic flutter which means that if you've ever seen uh, that it's like it's like a, a a gif at the end of I think it's at the end of Gilmore Girls. It's at the end of a couple of different shows that were made around that time, where it's like pop, 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 is the name of this is the sound that the that it makes at the end of the show, and uh-huh. it shows this bridge, and the bridge it looks like it's fin, it's like oh yeah, it's undulating, it's kind flailing of. like yeah. a like a like a fish's fin, you know, um, and that's part of this Carmen vortex phenomenon that uh, the wind will blow. And then it'll blow on the other side and push it down, blow on the other side and push it up and down and up and down. And eventually it makes this, yeah, this undulating yeah. Uh, uh, effect. And as it goes, it gets into like a rhythm. Yeah. Where and it, it gets bigger and bigger and, and bigger and, and bigger and bigger. And, bigger. And, and, you know, you can even see the frequency in the undulations of the yeah, bridge. Because it's yeah. like, it looks like you a wave form. form in the bridge. Yeah. yeah. So that's what happens with these Carmen Vortex streets. So it was producing like a really low frequency. And what would happen? Is, is one of two things it was called. Okay, so this is like part two. Part one is this phenomena, the Carmen Vortex Street. Yeah. And if you have a certain mountain or a certain body that's shaped a certain way, it can create these these mini vortices. Yeah. So the top of this mountain, uh, the peak that they were just about to traverse, was a cylindrical peak. Mm-hmm. So when the... This dead mountain. The dead mountain. So when the wind was hitting it, it was causing these small Carmen Vortex tornadoes to, to come around near the campsite, right? Mm-hmm. So this can sound like... A really weird, a really weird phenomenon in the human brain. Mm-hmm. So if it's anything below twenty hertz, so the, the the range of human hearing is between twenty and twenty thousand hertz. So if it's anything below twenty thousand hertz, you won't be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. But what it will do is activate the hairs on your inner ear, so that your brain is going, "Yeah, I can hear sound, but there is no sound." Mm-hmm. It's like if you're ever in a disco and you can feel the thumping of the bass in your chest. You can't really hear that, but you can feel it because it's it's loud, but it's like subsonic, right? Mm-hmm. And like exposure to that can can be damaging to your hearing, obviously. Like especially if it's uh, you know in a disco and you're full of drink. Yeah. But and you're standing right by the speaker, you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you're <laughs> you're pilling off your face and you're yeah. licking the speaker and loving the DJ. But it's a thing of like these subsonic frequencies can can have an effect on your brain and how your brain operates. So there's there's such a thing called binaural beats, hmm. and binaural beats can can help your brain. To study, I'm sure you've heard of them. There's apps that do this stuff, or you can look it up on YouTube, and they have like happiness and meditation by neural beats, and like I haven't, I haven't heard of this until today. Focus. You maybe stick a set of headphones on for a while, yeah. and then sort of hit me with all sorts of different. Uh, if you go on to YouTube, you can hear, you can get these like uh, yeah, you can just get straight up by neural beats, or you can get like nice kind of um, kind of tranquil music mixes yeah. where the beats playing in the background, you can hear it, you can feel it playing in the background, but like, there's also like water water music or something, or, or yeah. Pipes, yeah. The, the, the babble of a, of but a it's a strange effect brook. it's it's where at first what you what it sounds like is just like a broken techno record yeah like it's just a constant tone. just a tone yeah just a constant kind of reverberating tone yeah. over and over again but then slowly as you just all, all you can hear is the beat of the tone in your head you start to hear kind of a undulating kind of a melody yeah happening in the background of it's like it. a pulsing it's, melody like a, yeah pulsating melody so it only starts after a second or two of the best to explanation it, the I can give it is I know you've heard so, uh, like dear listener I know you've heard like a guitar being tuned so when you have an out of tune string and an in tune string 
you hit it, it goes like boom, and you hit the other one, and it's slightly out. It goes boom, and when you do the two together, it goes and when they're the same tone, we who play the guitar know that means it's in tune. That means those strings are tuned to the same frequency. There's no undulation in the tone. That means that there's the same frequency, which means there's the same note, which means they're in tune, right? So the brain operates at uh, a range of like four to say 30, 30 hertz, let's say, right? So think of it like a processor. And at four hertz, it's at a very like low rate. Mm. So think of think of like, you know, the processor for your computer is 2.5 2. Like gigahertz, right? Uh, it's 25 like thousand hertz, right? Your brain is operating at four hertz when you are in like a deep sleep. So in a deep sleep, you're packing away memories, you're, you know, uh, thinking about what's going on the next day, you're dreaming, your brain is relaxing, it's able to defragment all the bullshit you were going on with that day. It's at a low, steady operating speed, right? And this is called the delta, delta wave, mm. right? This is the base brain wave that even most things have, even if you're fairly brain dead. You'd yeah, you'll have some, kind of have delta, some delta, wave. delta wave. So the delta wave goes from 0.5 hertz to 4 hertz, right? And the next set of human brain waves is the theta range. That ranges from 4 hertz to 8 hertz. So this is like... Uh, a drowsiness. This is uh, the first stages of sleep. This is the this is the, the time that the twilight before sleep. This is like when you're having the dreams. You're you're packing away the remains of the day. You're you're you know thinking about the stuff that happened in your day. And the DVD you mean with Anthony Hopkins? Yes, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the day. You're trying to box away all the stuff that happened, and um, you're having a good like a good like think. You know, sometimes I remember like falling asleep, and you're trying to imagine something, and your brain just won't let you do it, and you're like, "Come on, climb the stairs," and it's like, "No," and then you're like, oh, "I have to wake up." And concentrate on it and then go back into a deeper sleep. Mm. And it comes like your subconscious starts to come alive at this point and you still have kind of cognitive control. This is where like stuff like uh lucid dreaming and stuff happens. Yeah, when you feel you're range. in control of your dream. And yeah. And then the alpha alpha range is eight hertz to fourteen hertz, and this is relaxed but alert. This is the normal operating uh, operating speed for a human brain. This is like Walking around, just looking at stuff. Having to process information you know, so I don't get hit by a bus and so yeah. I'm stepping poop. Left foot, right foot, left yeah. foot. You know, this is like basic operating speed, right? Yeah. And then if you're like highly alert, clearly focused, like you're doing something really hard, you're playing a computer game, you're, uh, you know, recording a podcast, trying to remember all the stuff you said, plan to say. Yeah. Uh, this is called the beta range. So this is between 14 and 30 hertz. Like this is, this is optimal brain operation yeah this is if you're conversing with two different people in two different languages and you're translating everything they're saying yeah. to each other you're while, operating at a slightly level playing the ping pong uh, on one paddle and it's solving a Rubik's Cube in your left hand yeah like that's like that's like 30 hertz like you're operating at full capacity that's the level we'd all like to be operating on all the time absolutely so with these binaural beats what it does is it, it can heighten or lower the rate that your brain operates on by creating a vacuum of sound, by playing one tone in your left ear, another tone in your right ear. And the difference in both of those tones will be recognizable to your brain by an undulating sound, like whoa, 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 whoa. The faster the sound, whoa, 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 the closer the frequencies. So if you want your brain to operate at like a sleepy, relaxed rate, it's four to eight hertz. They're really close together 
uh, tones. Mm -hmm. So if you have one tone, like 200 hertz, and then another one is like 206 hertz, it's almost indiscernible. It's very like, like really, really fast, right? Yeah. Very, very, very quick. Baby hummingbird. And, and if you have that on as you're trying to relax or as you're trying to go to sleep or when you're meditating, that will aid you in getting to that frequency, right? Yeah, because that mind state. Yeah, your mind is trying to fill in the gap of the two tones that you're hearing in two separate ah, ears. So it pitches so its frequency. It, yes, it, the brain changes its frequency to that frequency to match the frequency that you're trying to listen to. Mm -hmm. So you're able to artificially induce your brain into that operating system, mm -hmm. right? Um, all, alternatively, if you want to get highly alert, there's like binaural beats. It's like, take, listen to this for 45 minutes and your brain feels like it's on cocaine. Because all the all the, the hypothalamus has all those chemicals to make you feel all those things. You know, when you smoke marijuana, yeah. the serotonin comes out. and when you take, It's releasing you know, things that are already there. It's yeah, like, it's just a Kickstarter. So this is like, a, you know, this like you know, pseudoscientific Kickstarter. Right? So you're able to... Uh, listen to these undulating sounds. It'll be like wub 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 for an hour, and then you do a lot of study, and your brain is able to remember it, like because you're at a super high rate of operation. You're at thirty hertz. You're like, you know, that movie Limitless. You're like, wow. I'd like to know if anyone does this. Please, please let us know if you sit there like reading a textbook, ten chapters of a textbook, while having going in your ears for like an hour and a half. They also have different ones. Please let me know. White noise and pink noise and these like 14,000 hertz or 13,200 hertz, which is more like like this kind of stuff going on in the background. And that's like the pink noise is 14,000 200 or 14,400 hertz. Which is just out of my range of hearing. Yeah, that's apparently like a really good frequency to listen to when you're trying to be productive when you're trying to focus and do you know do work uh that's possibly boring or menial or whatever like people do experiment with this kind of stuff so let's say that if you're able to change the operating frequency of your brain by playing an undulating sound or by by playing a sound where your brain is going to have to compensate for this, the the frequency that that it's listening to. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you had a mountain-sized set of speakers that were blowing a wind that reportedly has a massively low, indiscernible frequency. Yeah. Would that not have any effect on your brain if your brain is waking you up with a huge, like, screaming sound, like wind blowing off a mountain? But it's coming in at such a low frequency that you can't hear it. So your your brain is going, you can hear something, but you actually can't. But you can feel yeah. that you can hear. An it. ultra low frequency sound. This is something that's been like documented a lot, and something that's been researched a lot. And the research is still somewhat inconclusive online. But the idea is that these kind of things happen in nature and can be man made. It's called an infrasound. Yeah, an infrasound, an ultra low frequency, and that these are are known, especially to like environmental agencies who worry about things like noise pollution uh, and uh, radio wave pollution, that these ultra low frequencies and people that live around things like power lines where they're created and yeah, cell phone the masts and that hum that you get, that ultra low frequency um, being a part of your environment every day or just being around you, being immersed in that mm -hmm. can cause nausea, can cause headaches, can cause blackouts, can cause kind of sleepy, uh, drowsy feelings. It could have been Yuri's... Uh you know symptoms. Yeah, again, like that's why he left. Testing on this is is not as conclusive as you like, but it's it's been documented for a long time. It's that, out there that people claim under these 
conditions under ultra low frequencies that to feel these kind of symptoms and yeah. a, a fair kind of you know thin line of of symptoms that people claim which is kind of nausea headaches and disorientation yeah and and reportedly these frequencies involved in this like caramel vortex street are between five and nine hertz which is below 20 hertz so like it's below the threshold of human hearing so these people are in this tent feeling this sound yeah so it's felt but Felt by the body, but not heard by the ear as so a sound. So they can be feeling so, like sick, the, the paranoid, five to, yeah, the five to nine hertz is is in a, a a theta wave. It's in a theta range, right? Mm. So they're feeling drowsiness. They're uh, they're starting into the first stages of sleep, mm. right? Where they're already like going to sleep, and then this huge sound is putting them into that. So when they try to wake up, this sound is keeping them in a state of sleep. They know they're hearing something really loud. Their brain is in a state of sleep. They cut open the thing, possibly thinking like a, like a sleepwalking. So if state. it takes if it takes only one of them to to feel or hear or what they think is an avalanche, and they start grabbing the others and shaking them and dragging them up out of the tent, I because they're the they're hearing open. this low tone rumbling, yeah. which is indicative of a massive movement of snow, it's like, like a rumble. But all it would take is, is one to mobilize them in that situation, and for the rest of them, with the ultra low frequency kind of being kept in a in a drowsy dreamlike state. Yeah. If they are grabbed and, and kind of woken and shaken, and full they can feel the rumble. And drag them out, out, of their, out of their bed, out of their, their, yeah, out of their sleeping bag, out of the tent into mm-hmm. the cold night. But they're still in this drowsy sleep state, so they don't have the wherewithal to grab their clothes or, or say, hang on, there's no avalanche, what's going on? They yeah. follow the one panicked person, the least experienced person, out of the tent and off down the side of the hill. And by the time they come back to their senses, they're completely disoriented. They're a, they're a kilometer and a half away from their tent. Yeah, which they they're, don't know, which they're not sure which direction they went in. They're standing around in their jocks. They're yeah. like, what the fuck do we run out of that tent for? We're a bunch of mentals. And but then they show... The whole conspiracy behind this, the whole mystery behind this is, why did they leave the tent? Why did they cut it open? Yeah. Why did they not go back to it? Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. And and how did they get these injuries? Crazy now, injuries. the Camera Vortex Street frequency, like, I was researching that today, and I was researching, like, trying to trying to grasp at straws and go, like, is this why? And trying to find out the exact reasons why it could be. So bringing in the binaural beats and explaining that kind of thing, being able to change the operating frequency of your brain, that seems to be a, a semi-plausible explanation. Mm-hmm. If you are if you believe in binaural beats, I suppose yeah. it's a thing of, you know, um, it doesn't explain it explains a lot of why the they left behind the clothes. It doesn't explain, you know, how they got the injuries. It doesn't explain... I'll say they left the clothes yeah. behind because they were in a disoriented state and they thought they were wearing state. their clothes. Yeah, still in kept in an artificial were, dream state. They were wearing the emperor's clothes on a beach somewhere. Um, but Let's were, run out on the sand. Yeah, and it, it makes sense that they come back to their senses and because they're all experienced climbers and, and have at least mentally prepared for a situation like this, they try and start a fire, they try and climb a tree to find the tent again, mm. which they're disoriented and don't the direction to. When they can't get back to the tent, they then go into the, deeper into the woods to, to dig out a ravine. It could be somewhere to try and spend stay the night, warm in the land. To try yeah. and get warm light under the fire inside the forest, but this time in a, in a makeshift shelter. But then it doesn't explain how they got the wounds. Yeah. Isn't it? There's another, there's another theory behind why they left their clothes behind or why they're naked running out of the tent. And, uh, and one of these is called a paradoxical undressing. Mm. So this is like where, Let's not call this pseudoscience, yeah. but it's on that fringe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's reported to have happened. Yes. It's not like you can't really measure why that's happening because it's more of a, a, a physiological, psychological thing than, than like, you know, something that can be measured 
with like blood pressure tests and it's more like a feeling rather than you know so if you've ever turned on a really cold tap or jammed your hand like the heineken ad jammed your fist into like a bucket of cold water and after a minute or two your hand feels like it's on fire it hurts yeah it feels like it's really really hot yeah because your 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 nerves uh are they're sending a signal screaming to your brain like Get get your yeah. hand out of here, and your brain's like it's under it's too hot, it's too cold, too hot or too cold. It's yeah. one of those two. I'm getting a crazy signal right now, and it leads to a thing called uh, vasodilatation. Ooh. So it's it's your nerves in the vessel walls, in the blood vessel walls, giving a feeling of warmth. Mm. So you're like, oh shit, from my hands cold. are my hands are so cold, they're, they're paralyzed with the cold, and the nerves in your blood vessel walls are going, it's too warm. And this this vascular constriction, which happens in the first stage of hypothermia, leads to this paralysis. And, and the vasomotor center uh, gives rise to this sensation that the body temperature is higher than it actually is. So it means you're like, oh my God, I'm fucking roasting hot. All my extremities, the, the blood veins and the vascular center like is, is telling you, your hand is on fire, your hand is too hot, your arm is too hot. Take off your jumper, take off your top. Take off your jacket. Get into the snow now. Get into the snow. You're freezing cold. And it's like, to me, I would see it like the last five minutes of a hurrah of hypothermia. And you're like, it's so to cold. give you that feeling. I'm yeah. so cold. I'm fucking roasting. I'm invincible. And then you're fucking stunned. Hypothermia like, is, yeah. That, as soon as you start to feel warm from hypothermia, it means you're probably about to die. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. You and slip and away into a warm bath. And of course, your, your, your brain functions are reduced as well to quite a bit. So the idea that someone would become so disoriented, again, they would daydream that they're on a tropical beach and pull yeah. their clothes off. It's, it's believable too. With, with, the, with the coupling of these uh, various waveforms and, and uh, uh, like frequencies that are flying around their heads, including these hypothermic conditions, would mean that they may not think or believe that they need they're jack yeah. socks and but one would think if they paradoxically undressed then uh there'd be more kind of scattered clothes found around the bodies as opposed to that they ran out of the tent dressed maybe yeah as opposed to like the last two people to die scavenged clothes from other dead people in order yeah. to keep warm and that most of their clothes are found inside the tent and not just scattered all over the place yeah it's it's inexplicable <sighs> to be honest. i think i think what we've covered there is pretty much every Every avenue, current of theory and factor. Yeah. I think I think it's time we get off the fence on this fella. Right. Go on, uh, go on, you given get off the fence. given what we've just covered, um, let's see. Yetis, I see no evidence, <laughs> uh, unless you count the Discovery Channel as evidence, but I never do. Uh, aliens again. I like. I'll, I'll go a minute. I and as I've said this before in other alien episodes, I believe in the existence of aliens. I believe they're coming here amongst us for some reason. I'm not sure how in depth, but I think if they. If they did this, they'd cover their tracks a little better. Yeah, they're not ones for leaving behind evidence, right? They want huge amounts of evidence, yeah. And they, I just think they've done a better job of it. Now, military tests, this is where I really come into it. Military tests on weapons and things. Uh, yes, I could highly see that. And I could see the military smudging, or the government through the military, smudging the, the findings of any inquest and any autopsy. Uh, and an investigation I don't in order think, to make a mystery where there wasn't one. Soviet Russia in the fifties had much like much people to answer to when they were wanting to forge documents or something. Exactly, like that. yeah. And and the idea that they would instead of coming up with you know a somewhat plausible explanation for what happened, they'd leave it a crazy open ended mystery. Yeah, I don't see why not. I'd who probably cares? Think thing. Yeah, who cares? Who cares? It's, it's not a big problem. Even if someone found out what you did, you people still die every day. And if you keep asking questions, 
you could be next. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Yeah, that's huh? it. It's an understandable <laughs> train of thought that they have. Yeah, uh, now, the final idea of some sort of kind of a mass hysterical event coupled with um, kind of strange phenomena, un, you know, undocumented natural phenomena. Yeah. That seems to me to give the most credence. Where I fall in line with that is it explains a lot of things. Are you saying the thing that you should believe in the most is something that no one has discovered yet that's happened to their brains? Yeah, an <laughs> ultra low frequency resonant uh, coupled with coupled with paradoxical uh, undressing and yeah, uh, I think that's what I'm talking. I I think here what I what I really believe is that there was some kind of a final destination moment here. A, a perfect confluence of a of perfect confluence of, and oh, yeah circumstances. Like if you ever watched the the program Air Crash Investigation, when mm. they realize that most air crashes, according to that program anyway, most airplane crashes are caused by about 5,000 small things all happening to go wrong on the same flight. <laughs> and that if one of those 5,000 things hadn't have happened, the other 4,999 were irrelevant. It yeah. wouldn't have happened. Uh, or if, it, if if all of those 5,000 things had happened, but in a slightly different order, again, it would have been irrelevant and everything would have been fine. That's but what that's, I think that's we like may have here. butterfly effect shit. That's like, you know, destiny and, yeah. you know, predisposition. A little bit. But that's what I think we've got here. So. Like... It was God's plan for that plane to crash. Yeah. God's plan. Jesus was one of those angels. There's things operating bigger than... And you're like, what about the other children and nine angels on board? Well, maybe Jesus needed them too. Yeah. Jesus is greedy. Needs all those angels. Needs all. It's so much And all the 5,000 aerodynamic and aeronautical things that Jesus made happen had to happen. For that to happen. Absolutely. He didn't drop the ball. He no. dropped the plane. Sure didn't. God invent aeronautics, didn't he? Huh? Didn't he invent, you know, thermodynamics and the, the gravity and drag lift ratio? He invented air and he invented nautics. Didn't he? Huh? 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 I mean, huh? the sky and the oceans. He knows all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so a tough one. Now. Yeah, it's a tough one. I would say what I really believe happened here is, like I said, that, that kind of final destination conflict of events whereby... Like, everything seems to get to the sticking point where the injuries come in, and you're like, what the hell does any of that mean? Or the radiated clothes, you're like, what the hell does that mean? I mean, they were students at the local the local polytechnic. Some of them were physics well, students. Yeah, some of them were chemistry students. Some shit. Could they have gotten near radioactive isotopes or anything? Yes, it's possible. Could they have been into an area where a nuclear weapons test that had happened 100 miles away, there had been a wind that brought, you know, irradiated particles down on them? Yeah, or they, were, like, they were going through, like, nuclear snow... Yeah, exactly. Frozen, yeah. Rain that had fallen, that yeah. that that had been radioactive, and then it froze into snow, yeah. and that maybe they'd heated it up and uh, used it as drinking water, and it had affected them. Definitely don't eat the yellow snow. Yeah, but more importantly, if it's glowing yeah. and yellow, definitely, definitely don't eat don't the flubber snow. That's yeah. just plain bad for you. Yeah. But what I, it's, like I said, the problem is the injuries, and the only thing I can really envisage. Uh, I'm not trying to crack it, a true answer what happened, but the only thing for me I can envisage happening is. And that's not being accounted in a lot of different people's theories. It's the possibility of just human abnormality. In that maybe, you know, like the movie Alien. Maybe just on mental. Yeah, you know, like in the movie Alien, like mm. like they get a, they get the alien on the on the on the ship that's going to kill everybody, but they also get one of the the synthetic humans who just happens to go crazy and murders too. Like yeah, what I find should... yeah. What I find is uh, no no it was Ian Holm in the in the first Alien. What was his name? What was it? No, that was Aliens. Oh, uh, Aliens. oh it's the second one, is it? Yeah, uh, oh, it was the first, first one, one was Ash. Right, right, right. Yeah, Ian Holm. And he, he's, the, he's doing, the, he's doing the, the knife trick and stuff like that? No, that was the second one as well. That was Bishop. Oh, my God. I have to watch that movie again. 
Yeah, I don't think you liked the first Alien, did you? Shame. I don't think so. No. You must it. have watched it as many times as the second one. Yeah, the Jim Cameron one. Yeah. That's because that was all balls out. Yeah. And Cameroning hard. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I see it as kind of something like, like, could it be possible that what everyone's kind of overlooking when they say this doesn't explain this and this doesn't quite explain this and, you know, they're, they're, as we said at the start, there is no one theory that kind of explains every weird oddity. But maybe one of the oddities was that, you know, one of them or one of the last to die kind of just freaked out and started beating the shit out of everybody else. Uh, or tore someone's tongue out of their mouth and ate it. Yeah, I don't know about the, the, the medical background, like, of a frozen body. If you smashed the head of a frozen body, would it bruise? Yeah. Or if they brought it back to wherever they were doing the autopsy or whatever, and it got to thaw, would would the bruises then show up after well, the body thawed? I don't... Yeah, true, yeah. I don't really understand, I don't understand enough to, to know. Yeah, the medical background of, yeah. of that enough to know that if that last fellow with the fur coat was just going around jumping up and down on people's heads or whatever. Yeah. Um, we know enough to know that like people's injuries and even like broken ribs, they give signs of whether they happened when the person was alive or whether or not, yes. depending on healing and, and yes, bleeding yeah. that happened. So we know that they were alive when the injuries happened. Your one's stomach being full of blood after she got her tongue pretty that yeah, that that's kind of in indicative of the fact that she was alive when it was yeah, and she swallowed it all. Yeah. Odd. So where yeah. you're off the fence. You're off the fence. So off the fence. Yeti's bullshit, aliens bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Military possible but possible. probably bullshit. Yeah. And you're going with uh force of nature coupled with um strange human behaviour that's you know not applicable to the, the data and therefore not worked into any theory that I've seen. But, I mean, there's always that chance that one of them freaked out and just started crushing skulls and chests. The known knowns and the known unknowns. Yeah. And the unknown unknowns. And the unknown known unknowns. <laughs> don't you know, don't you know? Yeah, it's difficult to say. But, I mean, like, I think I'm landing pretty much on the side of everyone else who's ever looked at this incident and gone, oh, what? <laughs> there that's that's my off the fence is that's that's the can't, worst off the fence we've given you can't off the fence with it man. what is it did it happen did it happen is it a weird thing or is it just like it's a very weird thing but do i think there's any sort of paranormal or extraterrestrial involvement no i think it was definitely not the humans now whether that was the russian military or one of these motherfuckers freaked out because of some weird natural phenomenon so put, put, put your foot down put your foot in the camp which was oh, if i had to put my foot yeah in the camp? yeah which it seems is more, more believable. What's the most believable? Yeah. The military did it and covered it up, and that's why any of the facts are even weird. And maybe there was never any weird facts to begin with until the military came on. Cool. Yeah. It's a good off If I had to put man. money on it, that's the money I put on it. That's a good off offense. Because I wouldn't want to lose my money on an alien theory. <laughs> Not on this, anyway. 50 year old bet. <laughs> Somebody knows the answer. Somebody knows. Uh, if I was to get off the fence, yeah, tell me. I would say for. Mossad. For Mossad, I'd say no. no. They weren't into it. Wasn't Mossad. That's what you share with Mossad. That's yeah. great. Uh, for Avalanche, I, I would think Avalanche is, is probable. Mm. I mean, they're on the side of a mountain. It's quite a steep slope. I know the area wasn't known for uh, avalanches, but that's the area also wasn't known for 20-something you know, uh, uh, engineering students to be tromping around all over the snowbank. Um. And building a little camping and just getting up there and well, the mountain called this dead mountain for something. Yeah, the I mean, mountain of the dead. So is it the mountain of the dead because of the groans of the uh, Karen Vortex street tornadoes that would give these low toned groans, maybe like some 
you know, ghost mountain kind of shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Avalanche, I think, is, f- for me, the, the, the most probable that they were asleep in their beds at night. And some of them were able to pull on a boot or two or pull on a pants or two while the others were waking up going, what? What are you doing? Quick, come on, come on. There's an avalanche you're going to go. I was like, mm-hmm. what? Getting up, running out in your jocks and, and running for ages to try and get away from this avalanche and then realizing bollocks, where the fuck are we now, you know? And the problem with that theory is, is that mm. the, the people who suffered the worst injuries in the avalanche were the ones that survived the longest. Yeah, the that's, that's the other part of it. So, like, I mean, it explains. But again, the, possible. It explains it the most. That that happened, it explains the most, but it it, it solves the least. Uh, as regards to Yeti, no. no, I think that's just like a lot of people trying to cash in the Discovery Channel. That we'll leave that to them, shall we? Yeah, fuck yeah. that. Uh, tribal attack. I don't think the Mansi would want to fuck with people at like eleven o'clock at night. So up up mountain slope. Get up to the top of a mountain in your, you know. Indian to have a go at them for passing through your land a yeah, couple of days back your Indian garb like you know flying up in some sandals and shipping on you know you shouldn't be up here right this is our mountain like I know they be saying that in Russian or whatever but yeah. like still but still kind of I like don't think it, they're uh, going to do that chase them out of their tribe. camp yeah chase yeah. them out of their camp cut some bitch's tongue out cut her eyes out and then like crack the lad's skulls inexplicably and you know just yeah. too much uh, aliens I don't know. Aliens. I like aliens as a theory for and as an explanation for anything. Like, why is Aiden Walsh the way he is? Aliens. Aliens. Like, do you know what I mean? Why is Bono so successful? Aliens. Is. How is the Queen still relevant as, like, a monarchy figurehead in the UK in 2015? Aliens. What's that? Oh, aliens. Jesus. Sorry. We get in trouble with them Jews. Yeah. But seriously. Just like, like Jesus. So, yeah. Seriously. Crucify you. Yeah. Um, the military... Uh-huh. Could definitely be an explanation. I mean, look at what mad conspiracies and what mad machinations of psychological manipulation the US military and yeah. the military industrial complex in the world in general is purporting. It's a better the devil you know kind of thing. Perpetuating in the whole world. If you think of the declassified documents from the CIA, such as the MK Ultra program, mm-hmm. etc., and you think of the non-declassified stuff by the Russian shit going on. Yeah, if the, if the stuff that the American government would admit to is as dark as it is, what's the stuff that the Russian government will never tell you? Yeah. How dark is that stuff? I mean, I read, uh, it's it's probably a bullshit story now at this stage, but I read like during the week that uh, Putin was going to release secret radar and satellite um, information that would definitely without doubt proved that 9-11 was an inside job and he used like futuristic um, weather weapons and stuff like what Sean was talking about mm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably a hoax like uh, but yeah. they said if you don't take up these uh, these uh, sanctions. yeah embargoes and sanctions uh, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna tell everyone you've done 9-11 and you'll have a revolution on your hands you know this kind of stuff like the Russian military can be ruthless at times and I've watched like a lot of films and stuff based on the psychology of the people at a dramatic level like at a no, a human level I make this decision because like there's dudes in the FSB and there's dudes in the KGB and in the army and stuff like it's a really weird scene you know if you were into it if you knew anything about it um, you'd be like Jesus it is a fucking weird scene well, just and there's loads of espionage and intrigue and you know, there's loads of like underhandedness and yeah. you know it's counter establishment like double agents and triple agents and so all this kind of stuff so I mean the military if they are running an underground military base in the Urals which I definitely think 
if you're going to do one, that's the place you do one. Um, yeah, I mean, if and you these kids just managed to stumble across it by accident. They're like, oh fuck! And they, they pay with their lives. Yeah, yeah. They got scared out of, uh, and the same in dead past. You know, somebody let off a couple of bombs, a couple of little charges, set an avalanche going, chase them out of wherever they are, and then you know, keep chasing them until they end up dying, and then just lay them out in the cold someplace like overnight and let nature do its work. That's the India, like feeding it to the pigs. Like it's just uh, see you later. You know, run them out into the wild. Like, um, yeah, fuck you. Do you know. Uh, that's why apparently they, they never cared if someone escaped from the gulag yeah but that was the whole point of it uh-huh. that it's like you want to run away from here we don't yeah. keep the gate locked yeah good luck son you're about 600 miles away from it <laughs> you know if you can make it you deserve to be <laughs> yeah, you deserve. do you know what I mean run so uh, hypothermic delusions and paradoxical undressings mm. well, yeah no 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 I, that's just like you know like any good conspiracy theorist and grasping at straws to try and make Mm-hmm. Make uh, make sense of it. Uh, it's possible it could be any one of these factors, or any number of these or factors all of them, or all of them, or something go. something completely separate altogether, and none of these are included at all. Yeah. My favorite thing to think about is the camera vortex trees and the frequency uh, that they were induced into a dreamlike state by a natural frequency phenomenon. Do you know? Yeah. Like uh, and that explains a lot, and that explains how someone with cracked skulls or, or or broken ribs could go on yeah wandering about for another hour or two in the snow before they eventually died yeah it just seems it just seems all so bullshitty um, if I was to pick something I if I pick a one two so one being my definite and two being my my second option um, should the first one fail or be wrong I think camera vortex street nah, probably bullshit paradoxical addressing bullshit military is my second yeah. option that Probably something to do with the military. Um, what I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't even have a guess at. But what would make nine, you know, tw- early twenty somethings run out of their tent and stay out in their jocks? What would, what would do that? What would keep them going back to the what tent? The fuck would do that? Yeah. Why they, did they, they do that? They knew where the tent was. Eventually, yeah, they were, they were in a straight line from the tree it. back to the tent. So how, how it. cold was it? How out of shape or how unfit or whatever happened to them? It scared them so much that they couldn't make. The but they would they would stumble around in the tent or fumble around or maybe not but in the tent they would be able to grab and unsheathe the knife and use it to cut open the yeah, tent yeah. but not have enough time like one of them went out there there was only one shoe between the nine of them that yeah. fled so someone had enough time to put on one shoe but not enough time to put on two yeah I'd find him for the second one I think yeah. Um, so yeah the military would probably be my number two choice uh, aliens Nah, I don't think so. I'd love to believe it's true when the orange lights were like some kind of craft. Mm-hmm. There are way more things going on in Russia that none of us will ever know about because it's in Cyrillic and we couldn't be fucking bothered yeah. than most of us, you know. Um, tribal attack, the man said, I don't think it was because like who'd go up a mountain in sandals? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not fucking bothered. No. Playing with the white man, do you know? Uh, the Yeti, bullshit, 100%. And Avalanche is my number one um, choice that... Something happened, they got squished by a load of snow, they cut themselves out and dug the tent back out and there was rumblings of another avalanche and we're like, we got to fucking get out of here until all the snow settles. Yeah. They ran away and then just couldn't find their way back, like the stories. The and old, every time they went back up the of, slope to go back to the tent, they felt the rumble again and they heard the rumble in their heads. Yeah, and, and it could be a confluence of at the avalanche and the Cameron Vortex Street rumble, the, the low frequency rumble where there was a small avalanche that kind of 
you know, moved their tent to first place. And then every time they went back near the place, these Karma Vortex tornadoes were giving them indications that the snow was about to move again with this rumble. And they just never went back up there until it was too late and they couldn't get back up there with the, the strength that they had. And they ended up being brown bread. Hmm. So Avalanche is, is my off the fence. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, explain Explain the injuries to the, the last four found. Perhaps the last four found. See, what I always question is, if the last four found sustained those injuries, when did they dig the shelter in the ravine and lay down the branches as bedding? But maybe it was Dyatlov and, and the other two that were found crawling towards the tent that built the shelter for the three that had been injured in the avalanche, yeah. the four that had been injured in the avalanche, and left them down in the ravine Just in the shelter, back up to the, yeah. saying there's more chance of someone coming past Nobody this ravine and pa- through this river, so we'll go back up to the tent. Yeah. yeah. it's We'll all find out when we die. We'll all find out when we die. We can ask Igor himself. Yeah, yeah. And Igor will say... LSD, man. I had a giant bag of LSD. We all took lots. That's another thing. They were they were found with no drugs or alcohol in their system. True, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like they were fucking on the on on party the, and hardy. Yeah, on the tear, like you know. Yeah, sipping absinthe in the tent. But uh, that's it. We're off the fence on Diatlov, and I hope yeah, you enjoyed it. That was a it was a really nice one to research. And there's a load more. We're going to be throwing up loads of sources on the yeah. website. Like I have a million bajillion yokes. This was intriguing. This, and yeah, yeah. It's one of those unsolvable mysteries. Like it's, it's great to find something that you can just like sink your brain teeth into Mm. and be like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Do you know? It's nice. Like you couldn't, uh, you couldn't write something more riddled and twisty. No, you couldn't. Uh, And those who did turned it into a shit movie called Devil's Pass. (laughs) If you want to watch it, Um, it's it's okay. Yeah, it's it's better than like. I've seen worse horrors. American Pie 7 or whatever, you know, if you're into it. So uh, that's all for this episode. Uh, yeah. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any issues, any uh, any topics that we raised or anything that you're interested in or you, you have more information than we do, yeah. which is quite highly possible. Do you have breaking news? Do you know anybody who is up there? Is there like a really old Russian guy living in your basement that, that's like, <laughs> I know this love. There was 11 he bodies was a bullshitter. Um, so yeah you can get us on at T Conspiracy Guys on Twitter uh, forward slash those conspiracy guys on Facebook uh, those conspiracy guys at gmail.com and um, we'd look forward to to, to talking to you Uh, we really like all your Facebook stuff so anybody who's putting stuff over Facebook we love that yeah Yeah, we really like that email us tweet us whatever and just thanks for hanging out tonight because it was a it was a dark one, but yeah, it was heavy, man. you know at least we didn't Last play time. any crazy Hans Zimmer ominous music in the background like every, <laughs> everybody fucking else does. We might do that for the intro. We might, yeah, actually, we'll do it now. All right, cue cue the ominous music. Hans, bong. Hans, begin playing. Bong. <laughs> he loves his bongs, that uh, fellow. Yeah, so bong. most of the people listen to the show. It's a <laughs> so uh, good night, folks, and thanks for listening. Yeah, let's go hit the bong. I'm I'm Gordon. I'm Paul. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. See you next time.